this is inside the gold mine. Tonight, our resurrection revival meeting grab bag. Right here, we're going to see this. This out. new mic sounds good. Yeah. No, it does. And, you know, not just you, but, I mean, a lot of times when I sound like lower or whatever the hell, no, it's not, we sound even for a change. This is nice. <laughs> so you're listening to Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight, we're doing another catch-up show. We'll be talking about lots of things from, as you may have heard or will hear later, the intricacies of vinyl, the ongoing status of COVID and the experiences we've had with our shots. And all sorts of things, music, TV, hang in there. We're uh, going to be covering lots of fun stuff today. On the new and improved Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Network, now on Podbean. So, uh, good evening. Welcome to another one of our fill-in episodes in the 10th season of Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine. Your central guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Lewis Ball, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. So, tune in, turn on, take a step outside the mainstream, as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television, right here on Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine. So, yeah, they kind of ran out of order, but we had done the Donald Pleasance two-parter, and that took a while to clean up, so that came out after our Burt Reynolds show, which was newer. <laughs> Here we are now. We're working towards the Tony Curtis show. Still in the middle of research on that one, but that will be coming pretty soon. I would say uh, within a couple of weeks. And for now, we just wanted to show you guys we're still out there, still alive. And we had a few things to just talk about anyway. So here we are once again. Like I said, I'm Doc Savage, and with me is Mr. Lewis Paul. Hello, Lewis. Hello, world. Hello, uh, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, I'm actually looking forward to Tony Curtis' show because uh, he gets a lot of he he had received a lot of crap for you know not yeah. everything he did was great, uh, but he he did some really good stuff and um, even when he was just a, a moment about that, even when he was uh, just gliding along mm-hmm. and getting that check he actually raised the bar for the the movie he appeared in so uh manitou anyone so <laughs> i love the manitou uh, yeah <laughs> and, and, you know if somebody else did that it would be like eh, you know and and it's almost like he was like in that movie I and mean, we'll talk we'll discuss this more when we get to that show uh he was almost invested in that it looked like you mm-hmm. know like well, even like, something silly, like when he's doing those Agatha Christie things like Murder in Three Acts. Okay, yeah. yes, he's very, like, playing it broad and comical like he does on uh, The Persuaders, but it, he stands out. Do you really remember in Bill Smith? Ostensibly, the, the guy you're supposed to be focused on is Peter Ustinov doing his, you know, Hercule Poirot thing, and I don't even notice he's there. The whole time, I'm like, okay, where's Tony? And then he goes back on again. <laughs> he's actually the, makes himself the center of attention. And I don't think it's the usual actor thing where you get where, you know, somebody goes and steps in your way and steps in your lines and bunches you out of the way so they can get the spotlight. I think he just stands out that much. So, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll agree with what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun with that one. So, um, anyway, we were just talking, and again, this may run at the outro, I'm not sure, but we're talking about experience with the vinyl, and... One thing I wanted to bring up is something that I've had a long-standing, I don't want to say debate, because I, I grew up in vinyl as well, and I still have some vinyl, which impressed people over the years as it fell out of favor. But I've 
tended to replace anything I cared about in there on CD over the years because I've found, and I think it's actually true if you listen to studio engineers and even the artists involved, that when you get to the CD, you are hearing exactly what was recorded and mastered in the studio. I mean, yeah, it's the final mix, obviously. They do things to it. They tweak it. They raise levels. They add things. They sweeten the mix, whatever. But the actual final output that you're getting, here it is. Here's the, your demo tape. Here's your recording. There it is as anybody that first picks that up or is in there in the studio or you know the first guy they hand it to, here's it. Whereas when you get to something like vinyl, they're cutting grooves into a piece of, you know, basically plastic. It's oil and petroleum-based vinyl, almost like I mean, so your breakfast plate or whatever the hell else. And what happens is they're, when they make those little grooves that kind of bounce back and forth with beats and whatever else you've got, as you play it over and over again, even if you've got a decent sound system, like I've still got this old Marantz system, which is you know, definitely considered high-end for when it was in the late 80s. It still works. It's still got, you know, like obviously I had to replace the needle on it, but, uh, you know, it's still not a piece of shit. Like, a, I see people walk around with these little portables like I had when I was a kid. You know, the little mm. box that you flip up and there's a record player in it. <laughs> I mean, it works. It's, it's good for what that is, but that's not a high-end system in my opinion. Where, whereas what I have, I don't know how it compares to, you know, nowadays you might go get a technique sound stable like the DJs use or whatever else. How does this Morantz compare still? I don't know. But at the time, it was considered high-end, and I know it's a good system. When you play it, you know, every time, even if you're really careful with your records, like I always tried to be and whatever else, you know, you'll do anything funny, like, you know, try to play it backwards or, you know, do a mix and scratch and whatever the hell kind of shit on it to wreck the records. It's still going to build up crackles, pops, skips, whatever the hell else. You're not going to get that with a CD unless you're just sitting there and drop it on the ground and scratching it with your fingers and a knife and whatever the hell else. Basically, you keep it clean, you can store it in a good space so it's not like too much heat or too much cold. It's going to be with you 10, 15, 20 years on, sound the same. Whereas, especially if they remaster it, which they've been doing a lot lately, whereas the vinyl's always going to degrade. It's always going to have that, what they like about it, I understand, is the warmth. Because you get, one thing I'll say about uh, vinyl, you get a lot of bass on it. And that's kind of what it's designed for. More bass than you might get with a CD. But you don't get the clarity. You don't get that room ambiance. You don't get, you know, where you hear things. And you, sometimes I listen to stuff, even my own stuff, that was recorded over from cheap, uh, we had them on recorded tapes off of boom boxes and off of Walkmans, digital Walkmans and things like that. And I, will, I had ripped them over to uh, the computer years ago through like a Dazzle system. So there's actually a little bit of a digital wine involved. But beyond that, I'm hearing stuff nowadays, you know, 20, 30 years on, that I didn't hear for the entire time in between when I was playing it on tapes. So that goes on with a lot with, you know, music where I'm listening to stuff. I'm like, oh, I never noticed that before. Or, you know, something about this one beat they throw in in the drums or something background vocals or background, you know, somebody punched in a guitar lick or so whatever the hell. And you'll hear that there. Whereas when you get something like vinyl, it just kind of gets warmth up in this warmth of it and the crackles and the, uh, you know, it's great for like old Christmas music and stuff like that because it feels like a fireplace is running. But, you know, for like audio quality, I wouldn't even think about going to vinyl. Matter of fact, like I said, when I hear things that sound like, because sometimes they lose the masters. Uh, I know that happened with Whiplash, uh, the first album there, Power and Pain. And you listen to it on, who was it? Displeased put it out? And I had mentioned that to him on the show, but he's like, yeah, I don't want to say too much about that because, you know, they're my label. They, they signed my latest album, so I don't want to stir a stink. So I don't think it's in the interview, the final interview. But I was saying, yeah, it sounds like shit because basically it sounds like it's off of a record. And the same thing happened with Reanimator and a couple other bands like that. 
where that's all you've got, and you can hear like the cracks, the pops, and whatever the hell else. And he's like, oh yeah, this is definitely a wow. turntable. I hate well, that. Well, it, it gets complicated because you have some boutique labels, uh, Black Widow. I think you're familiar oh, with yeah. them. Uh, they do you know a lot of metal. They also do a lot of prog, believe it or not. Yeah, I wouldn't even call that. That was more occult rock and prog, like you said. Yeah, occult metal and prog, and, and they've kind of been branching out. And uh, I noticed the last uh, year or two years uh, with the kind of music they're putting out. And so, yeah, you got so again, that's like to me a boutique label. You know, it's like they do primarily remasters on vinyl. They don't do CD versions. That's what uh, interesting for specialty items. Not not for everything. So don't you know, guys don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but. For, they, they'll pick certain titles that they'll only put out as remastered vinyl. Yeah. Also, which is our, our major uh, bitch on the show, if anybody's been listening for the last about five, six years and been doing this, is uh, boot, boutique video labels, you know, putting out small runs of things. Yep. And then if you thought about dropping $200 for a 10-disc set and then you finally had the money and find out, oh, damn, they sold out. It's $4,000 now. <laughs> yeah, fuck you. So anyway. Yeah, so who are they serving? It's all aftermarket making the money off this, not them. I know. So anyway, there, there are labels out there. That was just one I pulled out off the top. Oh, head. yeah. No, there's a bunch of labels that are actually used yeah. to be CDs mostly that are moving to vinyl because that's what's selling. And now, you, have, you have some that put out tapes, nothing but tapes, like Dread Records. But I have gotten – I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. I've gotten so much stuff I haven't even posted about in the last few weeks. I don't want people to think I have a lot of money because I don't. I just like posting about this is what I'm listening to. But I think people are thinking, oh, you got all those 14 things today? That's wow, what I was thinking. Like, God, you must be floating in oh, money. No, that's why I say recent arrivals <laughs> because that means like I – there's a bunch of shit I just got in. You know, here's a – you know, because I'm backlog. I'm backlog. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so there are things I've gotten in final – where I'm listening to it. And the other day, I heard the biggest pop. Pop! I'm like, what? Yep. Different album. What was it? What was it? Uh, Italian band. Beautiful. Presentation. Brand new. Brand new shrink wrap. Opened that baby up myself. Very well packaged from its... Con- Sometimes, man, people pack stuff. You're like, damn, I'm, g- I'm giving you like 14 stars for this baby. Oh, you wrapped it in steel, shrink wrap. <laughs> you, you threw some crosses in there, garlic cloves, and all kinds of shit. <laughs> Nothing's going to happen to this. Um, yeah, I put it on, and what did I hear? I wish I could remember what it was. Oh, I know, I know. So people are very familiar. I hope some people who are listening to this, uh, it's almost like the show I do, but I don't mention this. Well, I haven't yet. When you get a turntable, some turntable, some high-end turntables do not have this, by the way, but most turntables do. It's called a ground wire. Mm-hmm. The ground wire is in the back of your turntable, and it, it should hook up to your receiver or a solid source. Otherwise, you're going to get what's called a hum. Yes. I had an NAD. I went through, if anyone follows me uh, on Facebook, I uh, they probably know by now that I went through two NADs in the last year and a half. Uh, they were used, and one was beautiful, but right away the transistor caps burned out, and somebody bought it. Thank God. So I made some money back. I couldn't possibly sell it for what I bought it for, but the person said, oh, I can fix this. I bought a different one from somebody else. I had a similar problem. Also, I had this terrible hum, this loud buzz. 
And the NAD does not, did not have these, both of these are really way old. They were original NADs, which is uh, one of the best receivers you can get. Um, they don't have that ground wire thingy. And so uh, I finally threw my hands up in the air. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, who actually uh, not only repairs guitars, is a guitar collector, but he also is into, you know, vintage stuff, vintage uh stuff like that amplifier and um he came over to my house too once and so he took that off my hands thank you mo um uh, so i moved on from there i said you know what i have this decent turntable which i got at a great price i'm gonna spend a lot of money and get a fluence so i researched fluence so again i'm not showing for these guys this is what i got and then so i got that turntable like the receiver i had i found was inadequate for that because i had a receiver for you know your all these multi you know for your tv and doing this and that and bluetooth and you need something with phono inputs and a ground wire connection <laughs> <laughs> so boom cooked that fluence baby up got a new receiver and thank you amazon because i didn't have the cash again for that and one day i i'm amazon prime member shooing and one day I go and I see this thing. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of money. It's like, Louis, because you're an Amazon Prime member and you bought a lot of shit over the years, <laughs> you can only pay us $35 a month for the next eight months. Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> and they sent it within three days. And okay, eight months. I just remember, okay, 35 bucks goes to Amazon. And I was very happy with that. I actually recommended to somebody who had an old school system and he posted on Facebook, a fellow Prague uh, fan. And he posted on Facebook, oh, my system. It's like, I want to upgrade. I'm like, I sent him what I got. And he's like, oh, it's a little bit more. I guess not everybody gets that deal. It's a little bit more money I want to spend. I said, yeah, but it sounds really good. And if, otherwise, if you go cheap, it's going to sound cheap. Mm -hmm. So why did I go off the board with this? Ground wires. Now, I recently got some Italian stuff uh, from Italy recorded, you know, remastered the remastered. And one I was really looking forward to was a very obscure band, uh, Belletto di Bronzo, I think. Okay. And so I'm sitting on the couch, I put that needle on, I got a remote for this receiver, and I'm just chilling, and I hear, mm. I'm like, <laughs> that can't be. Mm. So I lower the receiver. It wasn't loud like the NAD, which was fucking burning out. I'm like, what is this? take it off, I check the needle, I look for dust, put that back on, and I hear that buzz. So I put another record on immediately, an older one, and another new one, no problem. Played the whole Dark Side of the Moon. I'm like, no, no problem. So I researched this online. I, I become a hardcore vinyl guy, <laughs> and I guess that's maybe one of the reasons why you brought it up. And it turns out that some places, companies, whatever, what have you, factories, they don't have access to the master tapes. Right. They don't even have access to the CDs. Yep. So where am I going with this? They have access to the old vinyl, yep. at least. Why do we hear the buzz? It's because the genius who cut the new vinyl and made a tape from that didn't hook up his ground wire. <laughs> and this has happened more than once with me because I, I, I go through a lot of uh, newly remastered stuff from all around the world. Uh, a variety of music, not just progressive music, uh, jazz too. Actually, the, uh, Czechoslovakia, who knew? 
are producing a uh, for the past two years a lot of blues and jazz reissues on vinyl. Mm-hmm. In 180 gram vinyl, I got a Big Bill Brunzi and a Jimmy Reed, which sounds thin and terrible. <laughs> but if you research this, you find out that a lot of the, if you if you like for example if you buy on Amazon or if you buy from a reputable dealer. Look carefully at the images because if it's done in, you know, from Czechoslovakia or, or weird countries like that, chances are they're mastering this from an old vinyl record, not taking any care. They're not even doing any cleanup, and then it's boom. They are putting it on 180 gram, no doubt about it, because you could tell the weight. But it's like, ah, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> You're better off finding somebody who has like two or three dollar copy somewhere of the original. Yeah. yeah, you actually even got to be careful with CDs these days because I spend a lot of time looking at the matrix numbers and like, okay, now I'm look at the UPC code, but half the time I'm like checking, okay, let me look at the runoff and the matrix and whatever the hell, see if it's a real one or if it's some kind of shitty bootleg because there's a lot of that going on out there, especially there if it's smart to rare stuff. There is, and if you remember, a couple of months ago, a friend of mine, I has Liz mentioned this, or I maybe I, I told you about this. Is a friend of mine has suggested this place in Brooklyn, New York, of all places. Um, I but nobody's going anywhere. That's high. That was high pandemic times, so it was like mm-hmm. what summer, fire summer. Yeah. And he says, "Oh, go go check them out online, and they got a lot of Prague stuff. And the prices were outrageously good." And they had some other tidbits I was interested in, some soundtrack stuff. And I was like, oh, the prices are too good to be true. And the other thing was the shipping was kind of high. It was like 250 each one. I'm like, I'm over in Jersey. You're gonna tr- you know, if I bought 10 things, you're going to charge me like $30. You know, come on. You know. Yeah. So I tried it, and then I didn't hear for a long time. And I said, oh, it's, you know, I lost some money. What are you going to do? You know, sometimes it happens. Well, one day, this package shows up. And I'm like, hey, this is cool. But the CDs are in jewel cases mm-hmm. with uh, reproduced f- high-quality photos. Yep, the glossy paper, yep. The glossy paper. That's how you know they're Russian bootlegs. That you have to fold. Yeah, it was from a Russian store, by the way. So sorry, yep. but it mentioned that you have to fold. That I'm like, and they didn't really quite fit. Cause these are like, these are like... Uh, like CDR cases, so it didn't fit. So I had to look <laughs> around for any CD cases that I had or any albums I'm thinking of throwing away and say, okay, and redo that. And sometimes even the press cover, like on the CD itself, is too like glossy and yeah, you can tell it came off a 3D printer. Yeah, it looks really good. I mean, it's pro, but it's like right away you know, if I have to fold this, something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes I had to bring out a roller. I'm like, this isn't quite right. Um, so. Why did I even bring this up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you and I, we briefly, I think, traded back and forth a message about this. Compression. Mm -hmm. These things are highly compressed. And so I got the new Kansas album, the brand new Kansas album at that time. Power or something, I don't know, whatever. And it was pretty decent, actually. But I'm like, huh, I got 17 songs on this one CD. Hmm, Interesting. And I was listening to it, and just like the highs and the lows are missing, and I had to always boost my bass on my receiver because mm-hmm. uh, I got some very nice speakers, which uh, one day I'll go into it. Anyway, um, I was like, yeah, I got to do a lot of work just to hear this stuff. Oh, nearly everything I got from these guys, I had to do that. And, uh, oh yeah, one of them was a Velvet on the Ground, the first album. Mm-hmm. I had thought it was a reissue on CD 
or an original, you know, it's been remarketed so many times by the various companies, and it just sounded terrible. And it was, <laughs> it was mono, and it was the worst kind of mono. Not even electronic. Remember, electronically reprocessed stereo. Remember that? <laughs> if, any, if anybody's like old enough to be around in the uh, late '60s and early '70s, yes, I don't even remember that. I remember they had stereophonic sound. And was what was the one where it went through four speakers? Quad. 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 <laughs> yeah, back in the late '60s, early '70s, unfortunately, because uh, <laughs> I remember that. Um, there were a lot of records that were that were recorded in mono. But apparently, they also had master tapes. At least. But, you know, they only released the records in mono. You know, right. Whatever. That's why you get a lot of Beatles stuff where you get the mono and the stereo cuts. Right, exactly. And so there was a, some point when everybody started buying two speakers. <laughs> Not just that old box you mentioned earlier. Remember mm -hmm. that box? Yep. You opened it up and it had one speaker sometime. Remember the ones that had colors on them? Oh, yeah. My, it was actually my mother's hand-me-down. She was her like, old record player when she was a kid. And yeah. it had, like, carnival stripes on it. So it was, like, red with carnival stripes with red and white. And you would yeah. unlock the box, and you flip up the thing, and then there it is, a little record player. Yeah, there was this one. I remember it was a plug-in, too. You know, it was this, wow, I can't And the remember. speakers built into the box right underneath The it. speakers were built in a the box. They're really selling those good. things again, though. It's, it's like the new popular whatever. It's a retro thing, yeah. yeah. But, uh, so... I don't know. This, this stuff just sounded so bad. So then I'm like, I almost bought this damn, which I, because I liked it so much, I almost bought this damn Kansas thing again. And I'm finding, wait, it's a two CD set, but I only got one. Turns out the real version of this Kansas CD is a two CD set with a 17 song split. What the hell did he do? Compress it to like, you know, maybe he downloaded it instead of getting it to 56K. Yeah. He got it to like 125 or something. And put all yeah, that's why it sounds so compressed. That's why a lot of the stuff sounds wow. so compressed. And yeah, that Velvet Underground. I, I actually went and bought the vinyl remastering. Uh, Tom Wilson was long gone, but it was done by somebody over at MGM. And it, it sounds really nice. It sounds really nice. Yeah. Like back to the main question, though. Yes. Why do you think, uh, like, even yourself, what is it that gravitates you to audio uh, from the vinyl as opposed to CD, where you know, at least as far as I'm concerned, you're getting more imperfections involved? I mean, you, know, you get the bigger cover art, and it's I guess it's more of an experience sitting there, you know, smoking a joint and <laughs> look at this thing while you're getting high or whatever. But in terms of not only portability, but just purely you're missing what's in what the recording in studio what is the, what's the appeal you know it, it can go either way really it can go either way you know, i've got some vinyl that sounds like crap i got some cds that sound some like crap i got oh, yeah. cds of the same vinyl that sound terrific um i mistakenly i will admit this i have mistakenly purchased a cd version of an album that's in perfect condition and i've mistakenly purchased a brand new album ABCD, which is in perfect condition. You know, just sometimes I make a mistake. Yeah. Sometimes, depending on what label it is, uh, you'll get a, a, bulk, a bulk thing. Some of these prog rock guys I'm really interested in. Oh, and they'll give you both. Yeah, I've seen that. They'll give them to you both. No extra charge, which is nice. I'm listening to the CD version. Here's the thing. Portability, yes, I could pop that CD and sit my ass down. Uh, that CD, I've gotten recently uh, Transatlantic, that band with Neil Morris and mm -hmm. Mike Portnoy and Roy Stilt from Flower Kings. They got into studio during the pandemic, and these guys are funny. Uh, they, and, oh, and Pete Trevor was from uh, Marillion, bass player. 
So they got they went into the studio during the pandemic and they recorded like 35 songs and they couldn't agree on which ones to release. So <laughs> they said, right, let's will this down to 22. Okay. But they said, you know, the 17-minute version of this song is better than the 11-minute uh, version. So what they did is they released three different versions of this thing. So this is true. <laughs> if you look up Transatlantic, the new album, there's the Forevermore version, the Absolute version, and something else it's called. So I got the one that has uh, five LPs. Right? Okay. Don't, don't laugh. So <laughs> I actually paint this off still. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Yeah, there's a thing they got now called PayPal. I have a PayPal account. You know, it's PayPal MasterCard. They got a thing called PayPal Credit. I was like, what's this? <laughs> and it's like, you could just choose to pay this off in like 14 installments of like $32. Okay, I'll do that. You know, See, that still kind pay. of thing would stop me in my tracks because I will not take lesser things. If you've got bonus tracks on something, that's the version I want. But if it ends up being something crazy like that, you know, you talk about the high price, I'm like, oops, I guess I'm not getting this one then. <laughs> Well, so what I did, I got the I got the five LP version, and then and then well, I'm not done yet. So it comes with like three CDs, and then I got the three LP version, which is different from the five LP version, which came with two CDs. So back to your question. Oh, see, I thought they were just adding it. That's why you had five LPs because they put the extra versions on there. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah, it's all different mixes, all different blah blah blah. So so getting back to your point, so I put the CD in a, one of them. I was sitting on the couch. I'm like, you yeah, know, you're enjoying it. You don't have to get up. Now, you know, you'll see the readout says an hour and 17 minutes. Okay, you're sitting down there for over an hour. Sounds pretty good. I think the vinyl sounds better, but here's the problem. <laughs> I had to get up. Oh, it's like one's over. Flip it. Yes, that Side too. Two. Yep. Side two's over. Now, an hour, an hour and change on that one CD was two and it, a half sides. You know? It's like that Cheech and Chong <laughs> thing where you're like... <laughs> uh, <laughs> they walk in a strawberries place there. <laughs> I'm lucky with this fluence turntable because I, one of the things I did with my research is like if I'm really tired and fall out, I, I gotta get up because you know these aren't automatic returns. I don't make them like that anymore. Oh really? That sucks. Unless you have two thousand dollars, but this one had a thing where it gets to the end of the record after about thirty rotations, it will stop, okay. which is cool. I don't have to figure out. <laughs> my other, my back, what I call my backup turntable, doesn't do that. So I got to find listening to music. I'm like, don't fall out because I'll be here. <laughs> it never worked well, but did you ever have those ones, or maybe do, do they still have them, where you could put like three records on top of each other and it would drop down and then it would put, okay, I'm done with this record. The, the needle comes back and it's supposed to drop the next one down, but it always screws up and drops two at a time. I remember those. I remember those. God, God knows whatever happened to those things. Yeah, I remember those. Probably <laughs> not good for uh i think that was the old like jukebox formula hmm. you know i i don't i remember old jukebox machines and bars they didn't pick up that 45 there were 45s folks before it was digital yes i don't think they picked up that 45 and at some point at the end of the night you know it's like i want to hear that song it's already in that stack buddy we gotta do this tonight when we close the bar <laughs> yeah they would play a record and then the needle would would raise. I think it had a, like a little hydro hydraulic thing there. Yeah. And, and then after a while, it would just sound crappy because you got a stack of twenty forty fives, and you yeah. know that it's not 
Uh, it puts a lot of drain on the, the motor there, so it's it such sluggish. You know, and, uh, it, it actually almost warped the sound on sometimes. I find, I find, now here's the thing. I find I can manipulate. See, again, it depends on the kind of system you have. You say you have a Marantz. Yeah. I have a Frankenstein system here, a bunch of different stuff. And I find I can manipulate things better with vinyl than I could with CD. Really? Yes. I, I find that I can, uh, where there's not as pronounced bass, mm-hmm. I, I can raise it. I can, treble's more tricky. And you know this for a variety of things. Oh, yeah. Treble is much more tricky because uh, you lower treble, you increase bass, and then you got the mid-range and stuff. But I find out from my own experience, I, I can manipulate vinyl sounds better than I can compact disc sounds. Now, of course digital recorded directly to digital like neil young often records direct to digital a lot of a lot of guys do that now but john fogarty does that. that's why his stuff sounds like banging you know whether you're a fogarty or neil young fan you hear that stuff you're like wow you know they punch it right in and mm-hmm. then they go when they go to master that it's going right from the digital cd i find mm, but I, I i sometimes if i like the music i i get on my hands and knees and start manipulating on sound you know <laughs> it's it's still a work in progress yeah so i've been uh, digging around as usual that's my collection and one of the things i've been hitting lately is it's time of year i guess that i decided to go back and hit up the gothic stuff again and i'm discovering i mean it wasn't just now but as the years go by i'm starting to appreciate bands that i didn't play as much or didn't care for as much and one of the ones i've been getting into lately is fields of the nephilim who's actually one of the very last goth bands I got into at all. Probably because... Don't laugh. I was a big fan of Really? Because the problem for me <laughs> yes. was, here in the States, if you remember, they always pushed Dawnraiser, right? And I couldn't yeah. stand that cowpunk shit, that Preacher Man stuff. I was like, wow, this is really dumb. This doesn't work. And so I just kind of ignored it. And when I heard the other stuff later, I'm like, eh, there's another Sisters knockoff. Like, there are five million of those already. Like, Zymox or Love Like Blood. You know, there's so many bands doing that. You know, Suspiria, Rosetta Stone, The Wake, The Sisters themselves, you know, The Mission. So it took me a long time before I'd appreciate other than a couple songs here and there. Like, I liked their first EP a lot, you know, with Laura on it. And, of course, that got it kind of stuck into Dawnraiser somehow, which I don't even know why they did that. They mixed the EP tracks in between the album tracks. It's a really yeah, nicely yeah, mastered yeah. album when you got it that way, but it's like, what the hell is this? It's jumping back and forth. But uh, I got into the their second album, The Nephilim, which is really, I guess it's kind of their darkest and most esoteric album, if you want to listen to it that way. But that one worked for me. So I'm like, okay, I'm really enjoying this one. But the other ones were like, eh. But lately, I'm just, I don't know, maybe it's because... You know, you've heard the other one so many times. Okay, how many times am I going to listen to the same couple of Southern Death Cult tracks or the same couple of Bauhaus mm. tracks or whatever the hell played dead? So I started listening to them again, and I was like, wow, I'm really... Yeah, you know, I, I hate to say, like, I'm discovering them because it's not the case, but it's like they're actually, like, the last gothic band that I got into from those days because now I'm just starting to really appreciate them as opposed to... I like a couple of tracks here and there. I, I actually saw them. I think it was at Irving Plaza. I, if, yeah, I could be wrong, but I think it was Irving Plaza, a place very much like that um way back way back and uh my memory of that it's kind of hazy but uh uh the thing is if you like music of that ilk Mm -hmm. there's always gonna be a crowd that's going that is totally misunderstanding what that stuff is and um they turn it into a very scary situation not where it's scary for your life but like 
I'm not having a good time watching this band <laughs> because the crowd is like fucking crazy. Yeah. I've seen a lot of music. Yeah, I was very much into them. I bet you it's a surprise to you. I, I used to like a lot of that. I was into a lot of that yeah. stuff. Um, I see what you're saying, though. I understand that. Going back to something, um, funnily enough, oddly enough, or maybe both, um, you know I like yes. Yeah. You know, I, I know you like some things, you know, there's a 50 something years. Oh, yeah. No, I don't hate Rot- yes. It's just like, I'm, I'm not no, a big no, UK prog guy. Yeah, yeah. Like rotating cast of characters. I mean, really, there's a lot of guys in and out of that band. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so something like Relayer. And Tales of Topographic Oceans were not favorites of mine. Mm-hmm. Who's it? Steven Wilson, Porcupine Tree. Yeah. It's not a band I'm a huge fan of, but I like some of his solo stuff. Not now, mm-hmm. because that's another story. But he decided to go back to Crimson okay. and Roxy Music, and he did like five or six or seven Yes albums. And talk about nice job. He remixed Relayer and Tales of Topographic Oceans. And anyway, so I, I listened to those, and I was like, I guess I'll put them on. I wasn't a huge fan. I'm like, wow. Yeah, remastering, it's, it's kind of like Tim Lucas said about movies years ago. If you can actually yeah. clean something up, it totally changes it. And if you were, like, on the fence about it or sometimes even didn't like it, you go back and you hear the remaster, it's like, holy shit, what was I missing all this time? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something. So, yeah, you know I'm a Yes fan. A lot of guys know I'm a Yes fan. You know, yeah. it's like, I'm... A lot of bands I like. A lot of bands I don't like. You know, hey, I'll whatever. Yeah. But I've had yes people hate my comments because I said, all right, why is such a bass-driven band, mm-hmm. right? You had Chris Squire, original member, who was with the band until his untimely death in 2016, 2017? Yeah, it was recent. 2018, pretty recent. And Billy Sherwood, who worked with Chris in Yes. and um, I think he was a touring bassist or co-touring bassist for a long time. Yeah, co-touring bassist. And then Chris, when he was dying of leukemia, said to Billy, look, can you you want to do this? And he's going to say no. <laughs> so, and he's, so he's a bassist. They have the thinnest sounding fucking bass on all their studio albums. And their live albums are shit. But- except for except for now here's a funny story do you remember Yes songs that first movie they yes. did and, and, and uh, it's a short movie like 72 minutes but there was a three album vinyl version of that and I, I don't remember listening to it so I picked up an old used copy for three dollars it was mint super mint like wow the guy left a poster in here he never even listened to this thing alright it sounds great I'm like, and the bass is fine I'm like so the one time I do a live album, you can hear the bass. But most of the time, that's why I appreciated uh, Trevor Rabin, who did a lot of soundtracks. I think he even worked on the Lethal Weapon films. Uh, when he joined Yes, because he kind of punched up that sound a little bit, you know. And for such a, again, such a bass-driven band, bass is very important in all the Yes music. They do a poor representation of recording that. For the for the albums and for the you know that's actually a lot of my problem with the UK prog is not only is it kind of more a feat and uh, you know hoity-toity is the way that you can think of it. it's it's not really intellectual but it's too up its own ass for my taste if <laughs> basically the the way I would put it but that's what it is there's really no bass in that stuff you listen to Emerson Lake and Palmer it's like I'm not really hearing the bass there you listen to the, you know yes you're not really hearing it there. King Crimson, yes, sort of, but more when you get to, I would call it the more interesting era when you got uh, Fripp and uh, Baloo in there. Mm. But not so much the early stuff. And it's the case with a lot of UK prog. It seems like, obviously they got bass players, but I'm not hearing it. It's not mixed that way. And that turns me off. I really, that was actually my problem back when I was uh, 
It was back in the grunge days, and I was looking for a new Walkman or whatever the hell. And one of the things I told everybody was like, look, I need to have something that's going to make... You know, this is what I'm listening to, all this metal and shit. I want bass on that. I don't. I hate this really thin, mid-heavy sound that you're hearing mm. on everything nowadays. And people in stores were like, oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I can get you that, but, you know, here's the best thing we got. And it, was, it was a tough search. And that's the same thing there. It's like, yes, yeah, sometimes it's out there, but it's harder to find with that. So I'm actually curious if you're saying that they oh. remix some of these to make them sound more bassy. Yeah. Uh, so the Stephen Wilson remixes, he did like a lot of the US albums. They sound pretty good. I'm very pleased with those. Uh, I haven't heard what he did on uh, Crimson. Um, his Roxy music work is pretty good. Here's another band. I don't know. People are gonna hate me. I'm gonna do a show, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to push Roxy Music as like this prog hybrid, you know, because I don't know what the hell to call yeah, them. People call them we glam, say, but they're not really glam. They're more like Genesis, early Genesis. And they're not really. And then I, people call them art rock, but they're not really Genesis, and not really art mm. rock, and they're kind of punkish in their attitude. And you know, the more I listen to, re-listen, I've been re-listening to a lot of Roxy music. And these guys are way ahead of their time. But then you got Brian Ferry, and he's doing something that's more like Spandau Ballet and you know, that sort of a thing. So it's like, what the hell? They're a hard thing to, well, to peg. Right, because Spandau Ballet was influenced by him. And the exactly funny right. Thing was, there was this punkish type band called Deaf School. I don't know if you know them. Mm-hmm. They only did two or three albums. They were so hardcore influenced by Roxy music. You, if you put them, you would think it's a Roxy Music album. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're, they're really hard to peg, but they're, they're another guy, another UK band, you know, like great bass-driven songs, like Love is a Drug, doom, 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 right? What I it. like with those guys is seeing them live. I saw them on like the, with the old great whistle test or something, I'm like, wow, this is great. And then I put on a Roxy Music album, I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's, it's those, yeah, exactly, exactly, live. You heard it, what you, what you should have heard, and then, yeah, you know. Sometimes you can blame that on the producer, but if they habitually do that or go to the same sort of sound or the same producer, you're just locking it in with them. It's like, why are you doing this to yourself? Well, that's why I like a lot of Italian progressive music because... Oh, that's much more of my taste, yes. Yeah, they, they definitely siphon in those influence. They're definitely influenced by... Uh, definitely, you know, so many bands. Oh, are... especially Cherry Red, the original Goblin. That's yeah. very UK style, but it doesn't have suffered the same problems. No, no, because more... the, the thing with the Italians is they they siphon in these influences. A lot of Floyd. Um, yep. A lot of Pink Floyd. Uh, actually, which is one of the rare bands where you can actually hear the bass pumping. You know, mm-hmm. but those guys were total control freaks. You know, you have Waters <laughs> and Gilmore, and anyway, it's another story. So, but, but the Italian bands, they siphon in these influences and they just soak it all up. And then uh, they, they, you know, you have that whole history of Italian music and the, you know, the romantic literature, the romantic sounds, opera and so on and so forth. And they're, 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 they're nearby, you know, Greece and they're nearby these other lo- yep. localities and just all the sun soaking up the sweet music. And the British music is really what got to them. So, yeah, they're singing in Italian, but I get it. And a lot of the Italian prog, even the older stuff, yeah, Cherry Red. And they, Cherry Red did a uh, comeback album about three or four years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, their second, their second Cherry Red album, <laughs> um, uh, which is not as good as that first one, but that's the one that became Goblin. But uh, and, and then it, I actually like that first Cherry Red album better than any of the Goblin stuff. <laughs> uh, some Goblin stuff is really good. I, I, I'm still annoyed. Oh, Goblin's great. That... Uh, 
Claudio does this thing. Yo, Claudio Seminetti's Goblin. All right. <laughs> but then, but then, every two or three years, they'll all get back together, do a couple mm-hmm. shows, or maybe even record something. I got the 2016. Mm-hmm. All the surviving members of Goblin do nine tracks on the EP or six tracks on the EP. I forgot what it is. I'm like, this sounds great. But then he gets mad at them. Then he does Claudio Simonetti's Goblin. All right. Well, <laughs> And don't forget, you've got a lot of them that were just uh, Marangolo or whoever the hell else doing it. You know, the, every Goblin album is not the same cast. No, no. And the worst but one anyway. is that, that damn butterfly thing, which is when Goblin tried to be a band with lyrics. You know. Oh, yeah, it's, that was terrible. Oh, my God. Talk about someone that sounded like UK Prog. Yeah, Yeah, actually, for <laughs> Completus, yeah. if you don't know we're talking about, just go to Wikipedia, get up to the one that looks like, I forgot what it's called, but, you know, look at, uh, it's, like it's actually something about Butterfly in a Time. Yeah, know, I, I think it is. Oh, yeah, Beetle, The Adventures of Beetle Mark. That was the name of it. In something English. like that. Uh, yeah, in English, yeah. but it's it's close to that. And you'll see, like, a, like elaborate butterfly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some people might love it. I, Oof. <laughs> I've heard it, and I was like, oh, yeah. I'm glad. It, it's really bad. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we, you know, it's funny how... Just talking about this kind of stuff can actually run on to time. We we could spend. It's funny. It's it's really interesting. So uh, on other stuff besides music, mm. I was <laughs> I started reading some Dennis Wheatley novels. I got a book. I don't know when the hell I got it. I'm like cleaning up books that I had gotten a couple of years ago, and I've been sitting around and just haven't quite got to them. And it was like one of those old things, like you used to get those books back in, God, in the early 80s, you know, Fu Manchu novels from Saxon Romer mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, Charlie Chan novels or whatever the hell it is, Sherlock Holmes novels. And they would put them in a book, you know, three, five a piece or whatever, and it's a big, thick volume. And uh, then you check these out, and it's like, okay, I like this, I don't like that. Usually it was like a, a primer, and then you're like, oh, this is great, and you go start getting the rest of them. So I'm like, all right, this is one for Dennis Wheatley novels. So, cool, I never see those. You know, I never saw them back in my book hunting days. You know, they don't really out there in paperbacks or whatever else, at least not here in the States. I have no idea. It might be ubiquitous in the U.K. So it's got The Devil Rides Out. Okay, fine. It's got To The Devil of Daughter. All right, fine. And it's got, I think it's Gateway to Hell or something in there. So finally I started reading this, and I read The Devil Rides Out. I'm like, wow, this is really action-packed. Mm-hmm. It's like... You know, it's it's akin to a Sax Romer, but not quite as exciting. But still, it was good stuff. And okay, some of his like uh, knowledge of occultism is like, a little cheesy because uh, he's one of those guys that you know I'm not going to touch this because it's too scary and dangerous or whatever. Uh, so he gets a little bit of a, a almost like a Catholic priest sort of mentality to it. But you know, it's still pretty good. And as a book itself, it was like, you know, this is really, it doesn't let up. It's pretty relentless and things keep moving. And, you know, it's it's got an adventure feel to it. This is great. It's like, all right, as I'm finishing it up, I'm like, let me put on the Hammer version, compare and contrast. And, yeah, they dropped some stuff. They switched some stuff off to give it more of a happy ending-ish. But it was actually pretty faithful. So I'm like, yeah, all right. Yeah, I always like the the Devil Rides Out, that movie. And seeing the two of them together, I'm like, all right, they did a good job with it. So I started reading To the Devil of Daughter. I'm like, oh, my God, this one sucks. <laughs> I'm not quite done with it yet, but, wow, it's been a real slog. Uh, whereas the first one just went snap, 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 snap. Was that it was really good. So I'm like, all right, let me check out the Hammer version. So I remember I used to like that one. It's nothing alike. I don't even know where the hell they got it. It's like they made up their own plot, their own story, and their own characters and went off in some other direction with it. 
all they took about it was this thing of this girl being, you know, sheltered, and then, okay, she's going to turn into the, the Bride of Satan at the end of this thing, more or less. I'm really kind of bastardizing the plot there, but, you know, anybody who's seen it knows the story. That's that's one of the, one of the movies that really hurt them badly. They, yeah. they were really struggling at that period, and, you know, all right, so they brought it, you know, for years, ever since they were Lippert films, before they became Hammer, truly, um, uh, they were bringing uh, Brian Donlevy and, and you know uh, some actresses of Barbara Payton maybe you know actresses and actors of note Americans uh, mm-hmm. to pump up the uh, marquee value you know and yep. they they didn't have to do that after a while because they had their own stars but they were doing that toward the end what was that the Lady Vanishes had Elliot Gould and Sybil Shepherd remember that was the yep. very last Hammer film for decades and it was bad too yeah. So, to the devil, a daughter, they bring in Richard with Mark, who yep. is a little slumming now about that yeah. period. But he turns in one of these almost energetic performances for an elder actor. Yeah. But what's wrong with this movie? It's seedy. It's exploitative. It's like, what was it, Natasha Kinsky, right? Yes. I mean, near too much of her being shown at, was it, 13, 14? I mean, yeah. they had so much trouble with this movie. And and, yeah. and it wasn't seedy in the sense like, oh, yeah, this is sexy, this is degenerate, I want to see this. It's like, no, this kind of sucks. It kind of <laughs> sucks, yeah. And, and who do we have walking through the picture? Now, it was it's Christopher Lee, who's literally walking through the movie, and I kind of got the feeling he didn't want to be in it. And the funny <laughs> thing was, you know, his, he was the big champion of Wheatley. He was the big He's champion the one of Wheatley, this, yeah. and he had his own Charlemagne Productions, which which did a couple of Wheatley type movies through yep. his own production company, through other, through not through Hammer, I think. So one or two maybe. So yeah, nothing he, but the Knights, one of them. Yeah, and so he's a big champion of Wheatley, so he's starring in a Wheatley picture, but it's just like, I, I, was it Peter Sasty? I think it might have been. I think it was, yeah. And, and the movie just so. Grimy and it's so weird and bizarre. There's a hammer favorite of ours in there, isn't she playing a nun? Somebody, uh, uh, Honor Blackman. Honor Blackman, yeah, come on, you know. And uh, I liked her part of the, the sassy nun thing. <laughs> you know, well, we got Honor Blackman society here, don't we? Um, <laughs> I, I like it too. I, but it's just like and the movie ends, if I recall correctly, abruptly with Richard Ware Mark. America's noir hero throwing a fucking rock at Christopher Lee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like, how do we end this? <laughs> and it was abrupt, you're right. <laughs> it was like, boom, it's over. Like, that's it? The credits are rolling? Wow, this sucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but Natasha, who who I, I think, uh, I'm not officially diagnosing her as anything, eh. but uh, mentally. Look, but if, if you listen between the lines in my Nico Mastarakis interview, you can pick it up. Yeah. He actually got angry at me when I tried to press him for further questions. I'm like, all right, I'll change the subject. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Natasha's, uh, we had that problem when uh, I was working with Chiller. I feel like I've always been working with Chiller Theater, the convention show. And she was a big thing. They announced her. And all these people like lined up around the block to see Natasha Kinski. So we're supposed to be there, I don't know, one o'clock, and she showed up at like five oh, p.m. and yeah. didn't want to talk about anything. I was such a bad mood. I heard she left the next morning, and wow. you know, people are coming up to me. What happened? I come to see her. I have no idea. Don't ask me. And yeah, you know, the word is she's just problematic. 
So, you know, yeah, I, I get it. You do these kind of things and look who your father is. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, stuff we're not going to get into. Cause no, let's not talk about that part. We're not but... going to talk about that part. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's that's it. Oh, so, yes, Dennis Wheatley. I used to work uh, in Fantico mm-hmm. physically. Um, they had a uh, they had a, what's a fourth floor, sixth floor in the West 40s. Um, they shared uh, office space with porn porn production companies. So outside in the hallway were all these dumpsters filled like 35, milli- can, 35 millimeter cans of film. And sometimes there would be strips and strips. like just, They would just throw out shit. They were cut. Movies down for running time, whatever. You know, I think Howard Mahler was in the same building. If you remember them, the distribution company, they did lots of B movies and C movies and D movies. And Fantico was the uh, one of the big... Uh, you were in the back of your, I don't know, was it Famous Monsters in the back of Fango or maybe even other, Castle Frankenstein? I don't remember. They were a company where sending your money for a catalog. So anyway, I worked for those guys for like a couple of months. And they just had shelves and shelves and shelves of magazines and books. And a lot of stuff came from the UK back in those days. Continental mm-hmm. Film Review, uh, the Dennis Weekly, they were, they were from the UK. Dennis Wheatley uh, novels, you know, the compilations, like two or three stories in one book, sometimes four. Other other authors, you know, uh, you know, your work there, you can get them for like dirt cheap. Uh, I just ended up with too much stuff and I actually quit because one of the reasons I was spending more money than I was making. <laughs> um, and, I, and then they moved off site to uh, some weird place like Buffalo or fucking Niagara Falls or someplace like that. Some northern, prefer, I don't know, whatever. And, yeah, but I have a memory working there. And uh, I was like, because you mentioned online on, uh, somewhere uh, about Dennis Wheatley. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember working in Fantago and I got those. But I don't know what happened to them. I moved around so much in my life. And uh, funny thing about books and uh, I have a lot of British Really great British film books. Uh, I, I'm looking to get rid of. And the funny thing was, uh, about two or three years ago, I listed a lot of these things on eBay, five, six, ten dollars. You know, it's like I'm not looking mm-hmm. to rip anybody off. I just want to get rid of them. Stuff laid there, and I kept relisting them. And then, like in recent weeks, I'm seeing somebody post, "I bought this for fifty dollars, but I wanted it so bad." I'm like, dude, I've been getting rid of this thing for years. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for six bucks, yeah. <laughs> I might relist some of this stuff. Unless one day you come over and you can. It's always the way. It's like, you know, when I was selling off the like, major portions of the comic collection, like, you know, nobody wants to take them. You just kind of, you take a bottom of the length deal, like, just give them a fuck out the door and give me a couple bucks for it. And all of a sudden, like, you know, six months later, you're seeing, oh, look, this is so valuable. This went for it. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? When did this happen? <laughs> you know? Why didn't you come back when I needed you? Well, but, the same, yeah, the same thing happens with DVDs. The same thing happens with yeah. uh, box sets. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, those Bava box sets, I think, what was the image that you know Tim Lucas did the audio commentary for? Was it Bava? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Bava. And uh, I think Volume 1 had three or four films, and the same for Volume 2. And they did not sell out. And so for decades you would see them like 10 bucks yo yeah and now you see them for like 150 dollars you know 
<laughs> uh, which which brings us full circle to something I mentioned earlier on. I was sort of interested in this Andy Milligan thing that Severin was putting out. It's so much money, though. It's yeah. so much money. And, and then it came with the Jimmy McDonald book, which he rewrote, I understand. So I, mm-hmm. I had bought his original book on Andy Milligan. Don't ask me what happened to it. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I still got the original somewhere. Yeah, so he rewrote that uh, with the uh, participation of that weird filmmaker, the guy who made Drive, that movie Drive, uh, with... Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, gosh. That was the one, the, the Ballad story. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And... It wasn't Cronenberg, was no, it? No, it wasn't Cronenberg. It's, uh, what's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Um... He also made a couple of movies I really did not like. They were super ultra-violent, but there's an ultra-violent crowd out there. Anyway, um, so he rewrote the book, and they redesigned the book. Okay, Severin put out the first, I don't know, was it two or three hundred? Like, you got a copy of the book, and you got this box set, and you got a like, poster and a little button. Who cares about the button? Um, yeah. Fumpy doll, I don't know, hug it to sleep, whatever. And that sold out. I'm like, that's fine. I don't want that anyway. Like how they were selling the dwarf doll, the simple dwarf. I'm like, who was the hug that thing? But then they put it out, just a box set. And it's like, so here's, here's something. I thought about it because it was like 200 bucks, which seems like a lot for Andy Milligan movies. Uh-huh. I haven't seen what they look like. There's no reviews because it's not out till May. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm going to give it to you. It's not out. Milligan wishes he had 200 bucks to make a film with. Right. <laughs> and they just did this again with the Christopher Lee thing. Now, there's some interesting movies there that in the Italian mm-hmm. language. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes, they do, and there's one I don't even have. Right, there's one I don't even have. And there's also a whole Christopher Lee version of, like, Thriller. Remember the Boris Kolos Presents Thriller? There's, like, yeah. Christopher Lee's version with, like, 30 episodes. That's on there, too. I'm like, damn, this is great. It's, like, $380. Yeah, I'm like, fuck Who's you. got that kind of <laughs> Number one. Yeah. Hey, but not, not, I'm not knocking seven, but I was like, guys, come on. You know, it's a pandemic. Who's got this kind of money? You think we're going to send you our stimulus check? <laughs> um, well, that's what's going on. Everything's getting super overpriced. I mean, stuff that was dog shit. I mean, I don't even talk about this kind of stuff. I mean, just looking at dumb things like gas and toilet paper and, you know, whatever, getting a chicken at the shop or whatever the hell. I'm like, what are you, crazy? What, what's going on chicken, here? Ch- Everything's just chicken, gone nuts. Chicken tenders went up to $8. Can you believe that? Chicken. I, <laughs> I can, go to, I can well, go to, like, Popeye's and get them for $5. Yeah. My mind was blown when they jacked uh, ground beef up years ago. I'm like, what do you mean, like a shitty hamburger? And i got to make it myself, and you're going to charge me that much money? Get well, out of here. Thing. Even though everybody's getting shots, not everybody. That's another thing I want to talk about, too, if we have time. Even, yeah. even though most people, some people, a lot of people, okay, even though a lot of people are getting shots, <laughs> um, <laughs> the one and two shots, Moderna, Pfizer, J&J, whatever you get, um, people are still getting sick, and yep. factories are unable to produce like they used to. I, I understand more and more people are talking about shortages like we had last summer. Why are these only happening in, in, in the warmer weather? I have no idea, but... We're talking about uh, upcoming toilet paper shortages and, and paper towel shortages and stuff like yeah. that. And it's it's unfortunate, but it's like prepare now because people yeah, are getting – now the numbers are going up. Is that, is that where we're going with this next or virus? It's Yeah, go ahead because it's crazy. Yeah, the, mean, the numbers are going up here on the East Coast um, as more and more people are 
getting dosed with the virus stuff, the vaccine stuff, uh, and I'm glad. Uh, why are the numbers going up? Two reasons. You can't really blame the people here. Parvitz politics. So now, yep. now our beloved Democrats are in charge, and Trump is gone. Thank God. But <laughs> I will thank God for that. Uh, rat fuck piece of shit he was. Huh? <laughs> yeah, you could put that in a promo. What a rat fuck piece of shit. Anyway, but now he's gone. A lot of people are blaming the Democrats for everything, and you know you can't do that. But they're making some bad quality decisions. Cuomo, that's another story. I still think, you know, let the facts present themselves, but I still really, really think that this was a setup from the Republicans. I, you know, Trump has been eyeing anybody that was against him or that had won in runoffs or anybody that has a criminal suit against I've him. Had, so mysteriously, you know, everybody in those positions is having problems right now, and Cuomo being one of them, of course. I totally, so. totally, one million percent agree with you. If I haven't had phone conversations with friends about this. And how coincidental is this that weeks after Biden becomes president, boom, he put his hand on my back as he lowered me down. He put his hand on – first of all, he's Italian, and that's not a a uh, give-all to do uh, no. uh, acts like that. But he's Italian, so he's a warm individual. He kissed me. Yeah, kissed. they're saying stuff like they say about Biden. Like, oh, he put his arm around me, like, congratulate me. Did he do that to everybody? Oh, he gave me a kiss on the cheek. Well, the, well hey, you know, I'm sorry, Italian. We kiss guys on the cheek, one, too. We give them big the hugs. The latest one yeah. the, I don't know, the sixth person goes, he kissed me on the cheek. This yeah. sounds like not only career, you know, attacking, but it yeah. just sounds too. You mean in all this time, nobody comes out of the work, but now they do? Right. Pat horseshit. It's, and it's not just him, because they went after the governor. They went after, you know, I think the guy in California. Any place where there's lawsuits against Trump and mm -hmm. any place where they want to run off election or whatever the hell else, that's where they're targeting. That's where they're attacking. At the same time as all these gerrymandering laws and all this other shit they're trying to push through. And the entire, it really started with all the red states, and that's mostly who did it, saying, oh, we're about to ramp up the uh, vaccines, and everybody's starting to get them. All right, before that gets done, everybody, take your masks off. You know, anybody can't enforce, you know, you must put a mask on to come in the restaurant. Really? Yeah. What kind of sabotage shit is that? Fuck you, Republicans. So, yeah, so aside from the Cuomo thing, I, I think he's making a mistake, and I think, uh, and I think, uh, uh, who the hell's governor of Jersey? What the fuck is his name? Uh, oh, uh, Murphy. Murphy's making a mistake. They want to reopen. I get this immense pressure. The temperatures are... There's a lot of pressure, yeah. But you know, from restauranters, from uh, bar owners, etc. Here's the thing. But it's foolish. Here's yeah. the thing. The weather's getting warmer. We should still push for outdoor dining because it's more conceivable mm -hmm. now that when it was 23 degrees... <laughs> um, I, you could still see. You probably have them up by you. I have them by me. These outdoor things, which look like log, log oh, yeah. cabins, right? Yeah. Uh, by me, they look like log cabins with like plexi windows. I'm like, uh, are we supposed to not contain the virus? <laughs> and these are the outdoor things. Um, yep. Because they have the heaters. So open up more outdoor dining. Um. I don't think indoor dining is the way to go. Now, with that being said, I went to a huge place last night myself, uh, and it was a, there was no one close to us, which was fine. Um, it was by the water. It overlooked uh, New York Harbor, but it was too windy. 
to be outside. So mm-hmm. I was like, all right, we'll, we'll sit inside. So I was still kind of antsy and not completely comfortable. But the thing is, as you open more indoor dining and the amount, what's that, what did they say? You could do 70% now? 70%, yeah. Um, that's a problem. Your, your, your numbers might go up, and they seem to. And they do it with stadiums and airlines and concerts they want to bring back. And I understand some of these people need to get to work. You know, the schools are going back, and every time a school opens up locally, two days later, the damn thing shuts down again because of COVID. But here's the thing. Like, you can't do this. You, you, you and your missus got your CDC card, right? What's your. Shots. Mm-hmm. I got my CDC yeah. card. Now we're starting to see England. It says you need you need your card, the equivalent over there, mm-hmm. to go to events coming up. Right. Cruise ships are finally making an agreement with the uh, the United. And here they're trying to make it like it's like a stop. Right. Just give me your papers. Right. I'm like, really? I know. No. People, it's a public safety issue. I am issue. not making this up. I know people. I had a phone conversation with a dear friend of mine I've known for a long, long time. Uh, two or three weeks ago, but then last month. And she goes, nope, nope. You know, I'm a Trump fan. Yeah, I know, I know. We don't talk about that. You know, <laughs> no, they're not going to force me. That's that's the Democrats, you know. And and I'm doing this for effect on this new microphone. But she was sort of yeah. like being weird, like, you know, they're going to try to make us do things. You know, like, that's. and I'm like, I saw Wild in the Streets, that movie, that Roger Corman movie, you know. It's not like that. And I said, I can't talk you into it, but how about thinking about this? You know, and if more people are vaccinated, that means you can go and be amongst vaccinated people. You don't have to worry as much. But if you're not vaccinated and all these people are vaccinated, you know they could be carrying it. And because you ain't vaccinated, you can get it. No, nobody's going to make me get vaccinated. I'm like, fucking, you just right. I think... If they really want to push the schools to open and the people go back to, you know, in person, the, the jobs, all this bullshit they don't even need to do and, you know, reopen concerts and reopen restaurants and all shit, then they have to push this carding yeah. thing because that way anybody that goes there, at least they know they're, you know, they claim 80 percent protection or whatever the hell. All right. Chances are you won't get it depending on what these new variants do. Whereas all these red stater types that say, oh, I'm not going to wear a mask and fuck you guys, and it's political, and it's all, uh, you know, George Soros wants to take over my bloodstream, and I'm going to become a zombie because of Bill Gates or some shit, you know, QAnon assholes. You guys can all go and sit there and mingle all you want and go ahead and die the fuck off. We don't care. If you want to be an asshole, be an asshole and kill yourself. But don't kill us. Well, that's, you know, we don't. We're we're all part of this, and we don't want your bullshit. I, I'm sure you have friends you care about too that that are like that, and it's like unfortunately, you want to bang your head against the fucking wall. It's like, what? That's it. I'm yeah, it's, it. a, it's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, it's really freaking annoying, especially when it's somebody you care about. I'm like, God damn it! What do I have to do to yeah. you? It's like hit you over the head with a two by four. Wake up! My my, because I know she's never ever gonna listen to the show because she's like, huh? What? What's prog rock? Forget about. It. So <laughs> <laughs> my wife, I can say this because neither one of them are ever gonna fucking listen to this. So my wife's sister, also Philippine, lives in mm-hmm. California. She's got a car. Hey, she's one of these. Yeah, she's got a car. <laughs> drives on the freeway. Okay, right? Oh. All right. I talk to her once or twice a year because she. Last time I physically met her, she she insulted me so much. I'm telling, I told my wife, I'm never going to talk to her again, ever. So, <laughs> she's like that. She told me she's like that. You know? Okay. When when Trump was at his height, she's like, she supported him. I said, how can you support him? First of all, you're Asian. You're an immigrant. Yep. He's yep. against. And look what's happening now. Cause and you're a woman. 
<laughs> we already got yep. three big things on the list, y'all. Grab by the pussy and then uh, beat the shit out of her because it's the China virus. <laughs> right, exactly. But it's like, he's doing good things for America. What? What? What did he do that's good? What did he do that's good? For anybody. So, which... It's like pure fucking evil. The yellow brick road now leads to our contemporary thing here. <laughs> What's that asshole who fled his fucking state when they had the worst storm in history? Oh, Ted, Ted Cruz. Cruz. So Ted Cruz <laughs> comes back after the post-snowstorm with some other assholes. And they show up at the border, right? Yep. I can see a flashlight. Yeah, you see that flashlight? Yeah, those those are bad people. They, yeah, oh, yeah, I saw a flashlight last night. They're trying yeah. to come across the border. I saw that video. Oh, and then he said something about the uh, the cartels were heckling him. Yeah. That, yeah. Mexican drug cartels and, you know, coyotes yeah, or whatever see, really like to heckle Americans. So he takes these Fox News guys who must be on some kind of weird brown acid. So he takes, he takes <laughs> I saw this footage. I swear to God. I swear to God, so you know it's true. <laughs> it's Easter. It's Easter. I'm saying I swear to God in Easter. I watched this. That's right. Happy Wester. I watched. I watched this video, a clip of it. He takes his, these Fox News assholes into it looks like a parking lot. <laughs> I swear, did you see this? It looks. Yeah. It looks like a parking lot. He's like, we're in the forest now. You see over there, it's a mountain. And they were taunting, he said these words, they were taunting me. I'm like, <laughs> why do they think you're fucking Ted Cruz and they're taunting you for escaping your state in a time of need? But And blame it on your daughters. <laughs> and the dog, too, the dog, too. Um, so, so here's this thing. So I, I, I watched another snippet of this. And he's like, Joe Biden has people in jails. So my friend, a good but I said not a close friend, but a good friend. You know, a new a new friend in the past two years. I thought the yeah. guy was cool and he, he says, I never pro post political stuff. He starts posting political stuff after after Biden goes in, right? <laughs> he took this out. So he posts a lot of this Ted Cruz stuff. See, Biden's locking the locking them up. I'm like, Where you been for four years? <laughs> I said, This was the major thing on all the CNN networks. Yep. That, well, they didn't watch that. That's that's you know lefty news, right. fake news. That Trump was locking <laughs> up these people. Now Biden's locking them up. I'm like, oh my god. Because Lewis, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a link to something, and it's like I'm not even gonna look at it because I'm like, where you been? Ted Cruz. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, Ted Cruz is probably the only guy that can be portrayed by a woman regularly, and you won't notice the difference. You ever see on Saturday Night Live? The girl. But. You know who's a big propaganda guy for all this, like, uh, I won't say QAnon, but certainly, like, pro-Trump, anti-Democrats, like, bullshit. Lady Miss Bunny, remember the drag queen from Wigstock? Oh, really? I was like, holy shit. I, I, saw, I found them by accident looking around on the Facebook for whatever, I don't know, from friends or whatever. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's still alive. All right, so let me see what's going on there. And instead of, you know, for these people posting my drag shows or doing whatever, you know, camping it up, no, it's all this anti-Democrat propaganda. I'm like... What the hell? You, you should put on a drag show where you're wearing a fez in front of a hammer and sickle. I mean, what the hell? I never would have expected some of the people that are hardcore on this insanity. I'm like, what kind of drugs are you all smoking? <laughs> what are you drinking? What are you smoking? And how do I avoid well, it? Well, yeah, Holy shit. This, what, this is not an isolated case. To a lot of people, I can't pick a name, couple of names out of my head, off the top of my no. head. But there, it is true that a couple of people who are extreme. Leftists and radicals back in the day, they 
excuse me, they're went the other they're, way. They they they're they they're on this bandwagon now, and and I don't know what they see or saw in that guy. Um, we were weirded out by a friend of ours. This is years ago. This is way back before W even that we went to school with this guy Steve that we used to talk about a lot on that level. Who was just nuts, and he was always kind of gender confused and whatever else. And I do mean confused. He never really figured it out, even though he hangs out with a lot of gay guys. And from what I hear, swings both ways and all this jazz. That's fine. Nonetheless. No, that's not the point. But the point is he never figured it out. He's never really comfortable. He, like, thinks he's one way, but he's really going both ways and whatever. So, all right. So he's kind of a mess. And all of a sudden, after years of being, you know, bullied and having whatever and being an outsider and hanging with these kind of people and whatever, hanging with other outsiders is the bottom line, all of a sudden he started listening to the asshole Bob Grant, who's probably dead by now, on AM radio, who was like a... A worse Rush Limbaugh, if you can believe mm-hmm. that. Kind of a precursor to all these Fox News guys like Hannity and everything. And he swung so hard right. It was unbelievable. It, this is back, Jesus, back in my weightlifting days. So that's how long ago this was. Me and my drummer and some other people were like, what the hell happened to him? <laughs> Why is he like spouting all this racist shit and, you know, be, going so far against like, you would think of all people he would be, you know, hanging left or at least be neutral about this stuff. So I don't know. It's something about that insane radicalism just draws people yeah i i i don't know either it's it's uh, it's you know you would think that things would have calmed down a little bit it's still a bit us and them yeah i really thought that getting him out of office might have you know especially with the things that are being done and we're not even at 100 days in the office and biden's not only met all, a lot of his promises but beaten them like with this whole thing about getting people vaccinated yeah, yeah. He's done a lot of executive orders right off the bat to undo a lot of Trump's crazy. Yeah, the ones. only thing and that Biden did, sorry, the only thing that Biden did, our friend posted, said, oh no, this can't be true. And I said it's false, but apparently it is. He wants to run again in 2024. Did you see that? Yeah, I heard and that. It's like, come on, be, we're with you. We're with you. We're supporting you. Don't make us look stupid. Because <laughs> I don't even think you're going to make out this turn. How the hell are you going to run again? You know, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could see him uh, sitting back and letting Harris take over. Okay, whatever. Yeah. But, you know, him, I, I don't know if he's going to, like you said, is he really going to make it that far? Yeah, I don't think he's going to make it that far. You know, I was like, yeah. come on. I was a little disappointed in that declaration. I, but it's early still, so hopefully he can get talked out of it. Yeah, he always kind of takes it part way and then stops, which is unfortunately the thing because he's more of, or, or trying to be a centrist. Yeah. And the fact that he wants to work with these clowns in the Senate, it's like they don't want to be worked with. It's still the Mitch McConnell thing, even though he's now the minority whip or whatever, of hold your breath and deny everything. And even if it's stuff that some of them claim to agree with or Republican constituencies agree with, they're still like, no. Like, what the fuck? What's wrong with you? And then they got a couple assholes like Cinema and uh, who's that shithead that we got over here that's always... He's like the Mitch McConnell of the Democrats. Mm-hmm. I forget his name. He's an asshole. Like, we need to get the people like that out of there. Because they're just making trouble when there's no reason for trouble. And this is with the... It's not a supermajority, but, you know. It's the same thing happened with Obama the first couple of years. He could have got things done. Sat back, tried to work with them, got nothing done. And then all of a sudden they come back in and that's it. You're screwed again. And I understand this is the second time in 24 years, even, that we've been in this position. So, you know... Get a step on the gas here. <laughs> Make things happen while you can. <laughs> well, at least the cold thing was, you know, those those two from Georgia, those two Democrats won. Yeah. So if there's a stalemate, you know, Harris has the, by the way, I'm 51. 
Yeah, I'm number exactly. 51, so <laughs> what happens, happens. You know, it's like, thank God. But that's also the problem with these two that are fakers, because it's like, well, yeah, you got the one extra, but two minus. <laughs> I know, one extra, two minus. Yeah, Joe, is it Joe Manchin? That's the guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he, he's, he's looking ahead to a more neutral political landscape in four or five years. You know, he's, you know, these people, they're jockeying now. They're all jockeying for, like, 2024. Yep. You know? That's exactly and, it. And, you know, somebody said something about, what was that, Andrew Yang mm-hmm. the other day. Andrew Yang is running for mayor or something in New York, I think. Yeah, I think and, the problem with that is they don't like it because he doesn't really live there. So. Yeah, I saw that. And, and I was like, oh, no, I almost voted for him for president. I was <laughs> Same like, here. <laughs> I was right behind that fucking guy. You know what? So I don't even live in New York State, but I'll vote for Andrew Yang. <laughs> I felt the same way. I don't care if he's rich because, you know, somebody said, you know, Yang wants to give everybody a thousand dollars. Like, where the fuck did you read that? <laughs> <laughs> At least Biden gave everybody 2800 Yeah, That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Uh, and he wants to give more money. I don't know. Take it easy there, buddy. No. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Come to America, the brokest country in the world, because we gave everybody money. But <laughs> I'm not saying I don't appreciate it because the IRS fucked up my taxes. Yeah, I heard that. What's the I'm, deal? You saw that? Yeah. 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 I can could, I could speak publicly about this motherfucking Internal Revenue Service bastards. So I'm waiting for my refund, which is not sizable. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Less than it used to be. It's all right. I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. You should get it back in like two weeks. Yeah. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. It's April now. Look, three days ago, I looked three days ago. It's like still being processed. So I looked yesterday. We refigured out your amount. One of the reasons is you made over $75,000. I'm like, what? Really? Did you? <laughs> You're going to ask me that? Give me some. No. <laughs> Number one, I'm like, well, that's wrong. <laughs> they obviously made a mistake. <laughs> so it's like well, wait for the letter in the mail to be to be mailed around April twelfth. What a weird date! Mm-hmm. Like why don't you mail it now? So I'm curious what this letter says. Did I owe them? And they gave me the amount too. But I'm like, it's totally, I don't make seventy five thousand dollars. If I made seventy five thousand, I'd have more music. I'd buy more records. I'd buy more <laughs> CDs. We can even wow. do a show on like a higher platform thing rather than Skype. And, you know, That's to say, if you made that much money, man, fuck some over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we can, we can, like, Remember me? Yeah, we, we could have like guest stars like um, Ginger Lynn or somebody. I don't know. Ginger Lynn. Oh, I used to love her when I was young. Yeah. Uh, Ginger Lynn and uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, John Anderson from Yes. Even if you don't like him, you'll be like, wow, yeah, John I Anderson from Yes. Hey, all right, let's do it. You know, like we got famous people um <laughs> but no no way no way no the, first of all they, they asked i don't know how they figured this out they asked me over twenty five thousand dollars more so you know i ain't making that much how they did that i have no idea so i'm curious yeah I, I, i'm thinking you know i i have a personal stuff going on right now my mother had covid she's in the hospital right now she's still in rehab Oh, you think it's something to do with her? Cause you're... No, no, no. But I, I, I just like sort of like, do I want to fight the IRS? I got so much in my head right now. 
No, you have to do something. You have to make some kind of protest. Otherwise, you're really going to own that money. <laughs> Otherwise, you're really going to own that money. You know, my wife said, yeah. why don't I just give you that money? I'm like, no. I, no, no, no. That's not how it works. No, you, but I'm sure, gotta... like, right now, I don't want to think about this. So, <laughs> but I'll have to, right? It's like, yeah, I... just go find yourself one of those accountants or whatever. And, hey, this is oh, what's going on. Here's my stuff. What the fuck's happening here? <laughs> I never used those guys. Years ago, I used, when I first went to New Jersey... To live, and I, I said, oh, H and R Block. No, they're crappy. Like they're used to. <laughs> oh, you ever hear my H and R Block story? This is a great show, actually. People are gonna love this show. We talk about everything. <laughs> I go to H and R Block because I see it. They got nice offices back in the days when they actually had people inside there, and not closed for nine months out of the year. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I go in as an Indian fellow. I, I'm not. <laughs> so, I don't care who it was, but I go in there, right? Still there? Yeah. And. I sit down and I brought a portfolio of stuff, you know, my tax stuff, you know. Yeah. And he goes, This is my first week. It's an odd block. Oh, pretty no. Cool, huh? I was like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. He goes, I, I never seen software like this. I'm learning at the job. I said, that's, that's pretty cool. He sounded like that, too. Okay. So I spent like an hour and a half with the guy. And he goes, You owe. I was like, I owe. I, I never owed, ever. You know, this is. He had me like, oh, like fifteen hundred dollars. I like, and then you have to pay me uh, one hundred and seventy-five dollars. You have a check, right? I said, you know what? I left my checkbook home. It was in my bag. Yeah. So, <laughs> you have debit card? I said, no, I left it home too. I'll be right back. I took all my shit, left. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I did it myself, and I got money back. There you go. So these guys don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yo, and and this is a true life thing. No, no, I'm I'm not mimicking him or singled him out because he was a uh, person of not of the United States. You know, I don't want to be one of those people like, but that that was an actual real life thing that happened. And I'm sitting there going, you're kidding me. Man. It's the first time you ever use the software. You've only been <laughs> in the country, so so how they hire you? <laughs> you know? The British the best. <laughs> Right, and then he's telling me I owe. I'm like, oh, something's not right here. <laughs> so, um, no, I think it's because of the stimulus. Because when I did, when I did my taxes, you know, we got a, we got one stimulus check. But they're not supposed to tax the stimulus. That's actually known a thing there. People think that, and it's like, no, that's not taxable. It's not taxable. No. But I, they asked me if I got a second one. Theoretically, I didn't get that check until. January 2021, so I did not say I got it in 2020, which because I thought I'd be lying, right? Right. So I'm thinking that's the thing that screwed me over, but I don't know how they got the $75,000. Yeah, there's something wrong there. No, so I, I, I would like to see this letter. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes. Ain't that America? <laughs> you and me, baby. <laughs> Pink houses for everybody. That's it. Communism rules. No. <laughs> Fuck communism. Uh, yeah, but think about that song now. Wait a minute. Everybody wants a pink house. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, people don't like him either. First, they don't like Bruce Springsteen. Why? I don't know. He's the most American fucking guy I ever saw. He's a good Not guy. Like, he gives away a lot of he's, stuff to people. He's a good guy. And I can't, yeah, he's 72 years old. He's still churning out good music. Hey, you know what? Cool. And now they're, they're like going on John Mellencamp. Like, I don't like him there, pink old bastard. I mean, fuck what? You. You, 
Yeah, I've been seeing stuff about against John Mellencamp. Oh, I'm like, come on. Even Bon Jovi was trying to be Bruce Springsteen and failing. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's no, trying. He's, got, he's trying. He's got a he's got a restaurant for the homeless. He's trying to do things. Yeah. He's trying to donate money. I get that guy credit. Come on. Definitely. Yeah. I, it's like, but, but when you people go on there, like, you know, nah, you got to rip them apart for a real reason. That's a bullshit reason. Anyway, I think I'm all talked out. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna go into some of the stuff I've been watching lately, but you know, I don't know if you oh, want. All right. If you could pause this for like two minutes. Yeah, sure. I'm back. Refreshing your drink? <laughs> no, I had to go bathroom and get a drink. Yes, refreshing too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm chewing here. You got? I had a coconut macaroon. Mm. Well, you know, Passover. It'll come out now. So. It's like, oh, yeah, no, it's good. They're cheap too now. Mm-hmm. Usually like six bucks. I like two for five. Like, yeah, okay. I don't even like these things. I'll buy them. <laughs> <laughs> it depends which ones you get. You know, you get those uh, ones that are in the you know, the paper can, those manischewitz. They're like, eh. But if you get them a little more fresh made, like they used to do at Whole Foods, but apparently they stopped doing it for some reason. We actually got ours at Aldi's, believe it or not. No, I got a, I got, yeah. So one was coconut, coconut, and one was chocolate coconut. I was mm-hmm. like, this is interesting. Yeah, I've never been a huge fan of the chocolate ones, but, you know, they're definitely alternative if people don't like the straight-up coconut. Oh, my God, it's just sort of dessert last night. Usually a place of that caliber would have a variety of desserts, and you choose one, right? Right. So I was like, you know, I was like, seafood. It's not going to really fill you up. But we had we had, we had had a meal that we shared, and I was like, so what do you have for dessert? They only had two things. And I was like, really? This fucking place is huge. And what was it? Chocolate ganache with crispy crumble, I don't know, whatever. I said, right, I'll get that. <laughs> Just see how much it was in a pill. Holy shit. And it was like, eh, I'm not a big chocolate person, but it was like, oh, yeah, okay. But uh, you don't have any, like, fruity fucking thing? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You gotta go to a place where they got, like, a gelato or something. No, it, you, know, you know, some places get creative. I'm surprised they 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 were creative with a couple of things, and there actually was a pasta dish that looked really interesting. It was lobster ravioli, right, with uh, this uh, pesto with something else mixed sauce, mm-hmm. but the meat was ground pork belly. No, oh, no, no. I turned to the wife and said, you will like this. No, no pork belly for me. Yeah, no pork belly. <laughs> Nasty. Yeah, it's like, ugh. Pork it's intestine. You know that. Yeah, oh, sure. No, no. All right, ready. All right, so so we actually blew through almost all of Columbo, believe it or not. All You know, when it started like 68 or something like that, and it ran until mm-hmm. like 78, we saw all of those, and then we started watching those strange... TV movies he started doing in, like, 89, which, believe it or not, there's at least 10 of those damn things. So we at least, you know, four films into that, too. And, uh, you know, it's it's still really entertaining. I mean, I avoided it for a long time because everybody loves Columbo, no matter whether you care about any of the other detectives that were out there or any of the other cop shows or whatever. Everybody's always like, oh, Columbo, Columbo, Columbo. I'm like, eh, you know, you get sick of the shtick. Like, oh, excuse me, man. The whole, uh, and it's, it's funny because I am watching it and I was like, God damn, these people really ripped off Kandaichi. 
because, you know, that's been running in Japan since God knows when. I know that th- their movies were out there pretty early as well. I have one from 77, but they were doing it back in the 60s and God knows how far back. Same idea, you know, just rumpled the show. The guy comes in and he's like, turns to be a great detective, but nobody expects it. And it was funny because I'm watching Peter Falk. Okay, he does a great job with this. He obviously never had a head for anything else since he never really started anything except Columba. But... <laughs> It's funny, my wife didn't even notice. The whole time I'm distracted by his glass eye, you know. It's totally mm. obvious if you're looking for it or even if you, mm. you know, whatever. She had no idea. <laughs> so I pointed it out to her by the time we were already into the 89 movies and stuff. And she's like, oh, now I can't unsee it. I'm like, why did you not see it in the first place? But <laughs> I, 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 Sorry, but, you know, no, he's, he had a good career. You know, he, he was a Cassavetes buddy. And he's yes. in, like, uh, Husbands and uh, Mikey and Nikki. And uh, the bank job, is that William Freakin? Yeah. And um, well, of course he did the uh, what was it, the Chief Detective and uh, the In Laws. Yeah. But you know. Oh, the In Laws is good though. The In Laws is good. That's that's. I have to say, I, I saw that like I smoked a whole nickel bag back in the day, nineteen eighty one. Serpentine, serpentine. Yeah, yeah. I, I smoked a whole nickel bag and I went to the theater. I like Alan Arkin. You know, Peter Falk. I saw him on TV in Colombo. That shit is so funny. That's one of the most underrated, weird comedies ever. Who is that? Marshall Berkman or somebody like that? It's like, you don't expect it to be that funny. That's yeah, a really and, strange black comedy. <laughs> yeah, it's black comedy. It's almost like an American Monty Python movie, It's but not quite. But Alan Arkin is the dentist, and this guy comes in, and he turns out to be a spy and gets involved in this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it's right there. It's so full of uh, the in-laws. Is so full of throw shit against the wall because like Alan Arkin is doing his shtick. You know, you know why? Why are you forcing me to do this? And then and Peter Falk is a spy. <laughs> yeah, and it's because his daughter, I think, was marrying Arkin's son, so that's how they got right, involved right, in the first right, place. Yeah. It's just so great. It's just like it's a shame because they did they did another one. Um, because that was so well done and so blew it out of the water successful like oh this is a good movie they did a follow up maybe not the same exact characters it was terrible I think it was called Big Trouble it was terrible I don't remember that but I will say The Chief Detective was also really good for Neil Simon because it was like a much better version of Clue I know some people that love Clue I'm like yeah but have you seen The Chief Detective I didn't like Clue, and I'm sorry, I didn't like the cheap detective either. I could see that, but you know, I, I do always get a big kick out of it. Especially no, I, like... I, I like Columbo. I like Columbo. I, I, I liked how sometimes <sighs> it was two guys who pretty much wrote all those stuff. William Lincoln, I forgot the other guy's name. And oh, one of them was uh, yeah, what the hell was his name? Stanley. He had three names. Uh... They, they were very samey if you watched a lot of them, but then sometimes they would think out of the box, and you're like, "This isn't the usual one." Mm-hmm. And, and and I liked how I liked how they they usually cast bloviating actors, William Shatner, yes, William as, Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, and then sometimes they would get some they would get somebody who was like a um, a heartthrob, the housewives everywhere, but he was gay, Richard Chamberlain, to play. <laughs> To play somebody who was like so out on left field, you know, it's just so bizarre. Yeah, so sad. A lot of those are really cool. Clubbo, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because um, when you're talking about that, I was like, you know, some of the best ones were with people I didn't know, like the very first TV movie 
That was fantastic. And then they, they, I don't know if it's the first one or the second one, where this fellow with gray hair that I, you'll recognize him if you know TV stuff. But I was like, who the hell is this guy? And he has this whole elaborate thing out by a fishing lodge. And that was like one of the best ones I've seen. I'm like, wow, this is really good. But as you go on, it starts declining. And you get into the ones like the first one with Leonard Nimoy. I'm like, this one's terrible. And then you have one with Theodore Bikel. And he thinks he's going to outsmart him. I'm like, oh, awful. Then you have other ones where you're not expecting anything anymore. And it's like, oh, that was really good again. You know who was terrible that I hear people praise a lot? Robert Culp. He showed up like three times in this. Every one of them was awful. <laughs> so it's like patterns with like that. Well, but uh, yeah, Culp was an interesting character, um, actor. <laughs> um, it, it, yeah, but you know, when you have a show that runs this long, we, we had this issue we, we discussed in our Mission Impossible television show. Um, we discussed that, yeah. didn't we, years ago? Yeah, sure we did. And, and where you had, oh God, how long did that thing run? Where you had returning actors in different roles, mm-hmm. uh, but they were similar roles, remember? Yep. And yep. It, was, yeah, it was like Robert Weber and Shatner and uh, God knows, there were so many. Namaya Persoff, remember him? That guy was, mm-hmm. he was ubiquitous on TV <laughs> in the 70s and 80s. Yep. Um, uh, God, there were so many people, so many character actors. Uh, it's crazy. But yep. like, sometimes it seemed like in the same season, they'd be back. Oh, he's a different guy. It's a different story, you know. Was like, and that was a problem that Columbo had had faced too. I thought after a while, it was like, it was like this isn't the love boat, you know. <laughs> That's true too. But no, it's it's fun. But and, it's, and, 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 and the people, writing is almost always very top notch. I mean, it is almost always. Do I think it's better than Banachek or you know the early McMillan and wife? No, they're kind of on par. But it compared to a lot of shows out there, it's like, you know what? It's a really solid series, so I can see why people love it so much. It's just, it does get kind of samey after a while, and the shtick kind of goes low out the window. Like with when you bring in dog, I mean, it's funny in the beginning, but it's like, come on. <laughs> well, you know what? Though? It's so good that they never made it. True. So yeah, I mean, that, that's something to, uh, you know, to to keep keep uh, keep in mind. And there's never been a Columbo remake. Now watch. Tomorrow, Columbo gets remade with Fat Russell Crowe. Yeah. <laughs> what is wrong with that guy? Magnum. Oh, my God. And you see they remade Magnum P.I. I'm like, why? Who's, who's <laughs> in that? Oh it's some young guy. We, we passed by and put him on TV the other day. I'm like, who's this it's young millennial skinny guy? I'm like, yeah. I mean, I'm not a huge Tom Selleck fan, but good God. You know what like, I... It's one of those shows that hinges on his personality, and it's like... This guy ain't going to work. You know what I did see? Because, because I love his action movies. He's great. Liam Neeson. Mm-hmm. And I completely, completely forgot he did the A-Team movie. And <laughs> I swear, I did. And, and y'all, I'm looking at Netflix. Oh, I saw this. I saw this. This is good, but I saw it 20 times. This is good. The A-Team movie. I don't remember this. I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> so Bradley Cooper <laughs> is face. I'm like, well, I, I don't remember this. <laughs> and who's... Who's face, right? B.A. Yeah. Baracus. <laughs> I forgot who that guy was, but it's probably some rapper. But, <laughs> but, it, but it, was, it probably was. 50 Cent or some asshole. I hope it wasn't DMX. You know, guys died. Oh, God. Um, who was it? Yeah, Liam Neeson as as, as Hannibal. I'm like, what? Why did I not see this? Yeah, I'm like, Jesus yeah. Christ. How bad was it? It actually was entertaining. <laughs> okay. It was well, entertaining. Anyway. Not as good as... Um, the all-girl Ghostbusters? <laughs> no, no. 
not as good as something that was uh, a movie of, of uh, a graphic novel comic book that I didn't think was going to be any good at all. Uh, it was called The Losers. The Losers. Okay. With Jeffrey Dean Morgan. And that, that's like 10 years old at least. And um, I thought that was a lot of fun. Oh, really? And, and who was it? Uh, Super, uh, Captain America, Chris Evans. Right. That was very entertaining, The Losers. And uh, who's the girl? The blue chicken guardians. Um, I'm, oh, uh, Zoe Saldana. Or yeah, yeah. I was like, this is a lot of fun. But they only made one because, like, at that time, maybe 15 years, maybe it was 20 years ago. But at that time, we were buying graphic novels, but nobody was really catching on. Yeah. And if they waited 10 more years, be different. That's true. The, definitely the comic thing built up over the last couple of decades. So what else you got? Well, a lot of what I've been watching is actually Quinn Martin's series. So that's why when I was talking the other day, I was like, maybe we should do a show on him or something. A Quinn Martin production. Yeah, no, I didn't exactly. do that sipping deeper. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is very exactly like the guy who I was doing that. Yeah, it's every time he would do that, and then he go on to uh, starring, and then whoever the hell the guy was, you know, Roy Thinnis or uh, William Conrad or whatever, and then they would list you know, today's guests. And it'd be a whole bunch of people you didn't know who the fuck they were. You're or... Right, yeah, yeah. Because you know what? I, I hate to say this, but I used to also watch when I was younger, much younger. Mm-hmm. I think with my dad, the FBI. Who was in that? Right. Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. What a, yes. What a name. Um, the Bible thumper guy. <laughs> was he? I know. Yeah, he, him and his daughter started doing all this crap for like, you know, they, they read the Bible and they sell it in the Christian bookstores, wherever. That was, really? that was going on for decades. Oh, I didn't know yeah. That. yeah. Yep. But but he was that show ran for like two hundred years. And I think there were frequent guests on the, the Pat Robertson show too, the Seven Hundred Club. <laughs> wow, see now I didn't know that stuff. So it, yep. it's not about that. But it's I remember my dad used to always watch that. And you're oh, absolutely God. right because for some bizarre reason, and the same thing with the Invaders and probably some of the other shows, there's a weird voiceover a guy with a very stentorian voice, very deep, very basso profundo. A Quinn Martin production. And it'll be like starring, so in this case, F from Symbolist you and we know that. Guest star. Remember they would do that? Yep. And a lot of times, like well with the invaders anyway, they would recap the whole thing, like architect David Vincent took a wrong turn one night because he was overtired, parked in front of this abandoned gas station and saw the invaders. Now he must go and prove to the world that they exist. <laughs> and then they start listening off all the guest stars. Once in a while, you'll get somebody that's somebody that would be up and coming later. Like oh, it was someone today that had Gene Hackman in it before he did the French Connection. Mm. But usually, it was always like, who the fuck are these people? And don't forget, I watch stuff from the sixties and seventies all the time, so I know all kinds of encyclopedic knowledge of like washed-up character actors who were <laughs> on game shows and you know people that are like famous for being famous, you know, musicians, whatever. I'm like, who the hell are these people? I never heard of them. <laughs> so it's like today starring nobody you ever heard of. Act one, you know, I need to name it off, and then they go. Oh, and yeah. every yeah, every show would have like three acts in an epilogue. <laughs> yeah, again, you're absolutely correct. Yes, I I agree with you. Yeah, it was so bizarre. I had those uh, Quentin Martin things like Act two. I was like, um, but we have 14 commercials. <laughs> we have 14 commercial breaks. How's this Act two? You know, like. And they're all weird. The thing about Quinn Martin shows is they've all got this uniformity of feel, whether you're talking about sci-fi or a cop show or whatever, because 
I'm watching more or less simultaneously. We're watching The Invaders. I've been watching Canon, mm. which I really got into, and Dan August, you know, the Burt Reynolds thing there. I finally caught up with that. And even though they're all very different shows, it's like they sort of all feel the same. And they've all got that chapter play and the, the, the intro like that. They're kind of dark and a weird feeling. It's, it's almost like I had seen The Invaders one time only on TV. I forget where it was. Mm-hmm. And it was really like late night-ish kind of thing and never saw it again i'm like okay let me see the series this is pretty interesting and i found it and picked it up for christmas and i was okay let's do something to watch in the mornings and it's holds up a really strange show but it's the same feel with these other ones they've all got this kind of late night did i just dream that i saw this kind of feel (laughs) you don't you don't get that with other shows did you get the invaders as a box set or something yeah, yeah. It's yeah, I, I might set. do that because uh, you know, I, I haven't seen it in a very long time. I remember it being very weird. And you yeah. you were right. You had you had said your your opinion was the second season wasn't so great. And I remember that as well. But, you know, it kind of makes sense because so Roy Thinnis was in a really much beloved, and I thought it was kind of weird, Dan Curtis thing. Remember the Norless tapes? Remember that? Oh, I love that one. Yeah, yes. We both liked that. Very creepy. And then he was in uh, Dark Shadows, the yes. the Dan Curtis remake. Remember that? The remake, yeah, from the 90s. Right, the one season and done thing. With Ben Cross and uh, Barbara Steele. And aside from weird movies like uh, The Devil and Roy Slade, I think a weird Western and a couple of other things, he didn't do too much. And So I met him. Uh, oh, I guess it was some kind of comic thing years and years ago. I was like, oh, right, Dennis? I remember him from the invaders. He was very strange. <laughs> and not standoffish, but he came off to me as like, oh, I can see why you did this show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because they actually have it with introductions from him in every show, and he kind of rambles, but he's like, God, this guy's really full of himself. He thinks he's like, you know, the Kai Mucky Muck or whatever. And yet you watch him, and he's like, he's acceptable. There's nothing wrong with him. Yeah. But he's not that great an actor. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> Where do you get this opinion of himself? <laughs> yeah, very, but, very uh, strange. But, but I, I, it's a show we, well, I guess since you just watched the whole box set, I'll have to catch up <laughs> on. Was it a bunch well, of I'm not finished with season two yet. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. Um, uh, no, I but, yeah, very different between the two seasons. The first season was much better. Yeah. And the second one was more like, as he said, and he was right about it, it's like, you know, I wanted to explore more of my character and do this and whatever. And he needed those stuff that was like, well, okay, this guy's really full of himself. And then we started watching. I was like, God, he was right. Because every episode is just, he's all of a sudden finding allies in every town. And then somehow the guy either dies or girls, the case may be. Or they just kind of walk away like, okay, pretend it never happened. I'm like, well, what was the point of that? <laughs> Whereas the first scene was more of just him against these people and the whole world thought he was nuts. Okay, that made more sense. This is just, uh, it sounds the same when you're saying it out loud, but it's not. It's a very, very different feel. But well, it's still kind of spooky. Yeah, it's a, it's a show that was ripped off uh, in in type, you know, from memory serves correct. And rest some things my memory's okay. <laughs> uh, X Files and Supernatural actually ripped that off. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's it's really interesting. Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to get that. Um, yeah. I'm about the Canon box set. How many years is that? Five seasons. Oh, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. Dirt cheap too, believe it or not. What? Ten dollars? Well, not that cheap. <laughs> <Dirt> cheap. <laughs> but, <laughs> the Invaders might have been ten dollars. So that was really cheap. 
So what, what else? What else? We're going to go from invaders to what else? We go to Canning. That's your big favorite. Yeah, my wife hates it. She saw the first one with me, the opening TV movie. And, of course, it's, he had a lot in the beginning where he was dealing with hicks, kind of like um, when you watch a lot of those movies from the 70s and they, all the hippies go out to the Midwest or whatever and they try to find America and they find all these guys that are all like, yeah, what you doing here, boy? And they kind of put them down and lock them in jails and whatever the hell else, give them a runaround. So it was one of those kind of things. And she's like, oh, my God, this is terrible. I started watching it with her because I was like, you know, I remember seeing this and laughing at it like crazy years ago because it was some episode, I still haven't run across that one yet, where he's out on a ranch or something, and they do a long shot, like a crane shot or a helicopter shot, and here's this enormously fat guy with his suit sticking out, like, and running across this field through a gate with, I don't know if he's chasing after a car, if there are horses after him or whatever, and, you know, I, acting like a, a movie tough guy shooting at people. I'm like, wow, what the hell is this like, fat guy action here? This is funny. So I started watching because of that, right? I'm like, okay, there's a laugh. She hated it. I'm like, this is actually not that bad. And then I started watching more and more of it. I got a couple seasons in. And I was like, you know, this is actually, I really like him. This is a, and, and again, it's got that weird feel like The Invaders, even though it's technically a detective show. And basically he's like a an ex-cop that gets called and now he's working as a PI or whatever. He takes no shit from anybody, which is funny because you see this guy and he's, I don't know how short or tall he is. He seems short because he's so wide. Portly, portly actor. Port- Apparently he was like a, a real-life gourmand, so you can get the picture. Yes, he was. Yeah, gourmand and a, a wine aficionado. I be- and cigar I believe bar. it. Cigar bar, too. I believe it. So he's there, and he drives around in the Lincoln Continental, which is actually pretty cool, because you don't see that too often. Usually it's more of like the, uh, yeah. either they've got a limo like Banachek, or they've got the cool sports car. He's driving around in the Lincoln Continental, and people are like, oh, I know you don't want to damage that car. You know, it's an expensive car. <laughs> he's got the, you know when they used to have the clock on the back, or what is the Continental spelled out? And he gets involved in all these situations with people hire him for, and he's belligerent to everybody, including the people that hire him. He's like, well, if you're done lying to me, because otherwise I'm going to walk off this thing and hell with you. And he's running around, and he'll always somehow manage to get into a half-assed fistfight, which is more of like, you seem to look at karate chop the guy's neck or whatever, shootouts, get beat up, run through some places, climb over fences. I mean, stuff you would not expect somebody, especially because at this point, I think he was already a known actor. It wasn't like he was a new guy. He was an you know, old guy at this point. Mm. You wouldn't expect somebody doing this stuff, especially not his weight and his age and everything else. No, he don't give a shit. He's out there like almost like Starsky and Hutch, as if he's not going to jump through the window or whatever. And I don't know what it is about the show. <laughs> so it, on the one hand, it's amusing if you stand back and like, wow, look at this, I don't believe this. But if you watch a couple episodes, you're like, you know what, this is pretty cool. I like this. <laughs> so I really got into the show lately. Well, well, I, I, again, I, 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 I remember my. When did it first premiere? Remember? I think it was 71. It was very early 70s. Okay, yeah, okay. Five years later. So I remember my dad was watching it, I think, and then the family split up, and I watched it once in a while, and then reruns. And and then I remember, like, there was something cool about him because I like the kind of hero you could root for that you wouldn't call him a hero. Yeah. Yep. And, and, you know, you and I both, we we like that. You know, if, if, if a detective or somebody who's like, if you're really smart, you're going to solve this, you know, and 
Yep. And there, there was a thing. There was a thing about this guy. You know, it was like, yeah, you you checked off all the things. Oh, he's like portly and older, and but they they kind of worked their way around that, and he seemed to be gung ho for for a long time, and I had no issue with that. I remember I used to watch that, and and, and you kind of piqued my interest. Take a look at it again, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> And it's better than the stuff he did later on because you also might know him for he did Nero Wolf for a while. He's probably the least of the Nero Wolfs I've seen. Yes. Because even when you get that set that they have there, Thayer David, who was from Dark Shadows, you know, Ben there, was much better at him than his TV movies no, I, before I, he died. I, I, I remember, I remember uh, Conrad as, as, as Nero Wolf, and I was like, eh. Yeah, he wasn't that great. He sort of fits, but not like Maury Chaikin from the later one, not like well, Thayer David from the earlier movie. And. He he didn't have to be so physical, so right? I, I think that that was an issue too there. Um, and they used that damn Lee Horsley, who really time he didn't even have his mustache and his beard where he had like later from later shows. So it's like ah, because remember he did some cowboy detective show later in the eighties. Here he's like really clean shaven. And he's got like his little like almost Macaulay Culkin type red lips, and he's going around trying to be Archie Goo, and he's the worst Archie Goodwin ever. He is, but Lee Horsley did one of the greatest one off films ever which one sword and the sorcerer oh yeah you're right i didn't know that was him <laughs> i love that movie it's one of the better Albert, uh sword and sorcerer movies. movie yeah richard richard lynch is the villain george shakuris from west side story is the other bad guy and that is like the coolest one-off movie ever and lee horsley is like the ultimate hero in that movie and and it's got crazy gore Weird, weird weapons. They had this like five sworded thing, lady thing, and for a non-Italian knockoff of Conan, it is the best out there. People say this crap like go to Lady Hawk, go to Legend, go to where. Screw that shit. Go right there. This is the actually. If you don't want to watch an Italian movie, which they did a lot of really fun ones, and you don't want to watch Conan itself, the original one, go right to Sword and Sorcerer because it's it is so, the best one after all these years. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like. It's like, I don't know, maybe one, you know, we haven't done that. And one day we should. One-off movies. It's like, this is fucking amazing. Why didn't they do another one? What was wrong with them? And, yeah. and even Richard Lynch liked it, except, you know, he had a, he had a, somebody actually died in that picture. But that's, really? That's well, yeah, yeah, the stuntman. Okay, all I remember about it, the, uh, the biggest thing that stood out for me, especially being the age I was when it came out, was that Sabina, whatever the hell she is, and it's they basically got a Sybil or whatever, she's got like a mask, like a Medusa mask, and she's buck naked throughout the entire thing, you remember? She's like the baddie sorceress or whatever they raise up. She was so hot. I know. <laughs> so whenever you see that movie, that's the first thing I think of. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, uh, my, my, my wife number one, and I, <laughs> you sh- don't ask, oh, uh, we're in the, we saw that in the theater, and she's like, who's Lee Horsley? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he was the world's worst Georgie Goodwin on Nero Wolf. Uh, <laughs> oh, was Matt Houston his show? Matt Houston. Yes, Matt Houston. That was it. He was much better there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she, she was like, it's Lee Horsley from Sword and Sorcerer. Okay, we'll watch a few. And I'm like, he's just terrible. But <laughs> it was a bad show. But you, people that know him know him from that. You would not recognize him here. No, no, that was a great show. So, whoa, we digress. Sorry, folks. Oh, and don't forget, he did one more show after that, which was even worse, Jake and the Fat Man. Remember that one? Yeah, but who was the Fat Man? It was... <laughs> no, he was the Fat Man. I figured who Jake was. He was like, I don't know, uh, 
right, one of the Italian the actors they had at that time. He was one of those Italian guys. Uh, not Robert Davi. It's along those lines. So it's just like a oh, TV version. Oh, no, no, no. Jake and the Fat Man was, wasn't Jake and... Oh, no, 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 no. Who was it? I think it was the guy we're talking about. Lee Horsley again? No. No, Bill Conrad. Yeah, well, yes, Conrad was the Fat Man, right. Yeah, and it, and it was... It was Lee Horsley, I think. No, I don't think it was him. I like I said, he was an Italian actor, one of those guys like uh, Joe Mantegna or something. I have no idea. <laughs> well, no, you know what? You might be right. Wait, it was... Wait, hold on. Yeah, I was following the Robert Conrad thing because he went from Cannon to Nero Wolf to Jake and the Fat Man. I'm looking now. Wow, ran for five years. Holy cow. Really? Wow. Joe Penny. Ah, Joe Penny? Okay, so much for being Italian. <laughs> Well, no, his fine name was Joe Pagliazzo. Who the hell knows? <laughs> I remember him um, being Italian. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> so, so after Nero, I think it's this post-Nero Wolf. Yes. Five years it ran. Holy shit. And that was kind of the end of Robert Conrad. Basically, those three series with most of his career, I guess. Unless he was doing something Hollywood before that. Yeah, Joe Penny and uh, whoever Olga Russell is, she's kind of hot. Wasn't Joe Penny on Riptide, too? Yeah. Yeah. I think they tried to make him a thing, but thankfully not in movies. Yeah. And Tom Bray, I remember. <laughs> the nerdy guy. <laughs> uh, who was also in oh, Prince of Darkness. Oh, no. I thought he was an Italian. He was British. He was really? British. He was British? Wow. Joe Penny was British. Fuck. He's really dark, though. He's got the big bushy eyebrows. and He always struck me as Italian. Joe Penny was born in London, England. Wow. So, kudos for him for doing the accent, right? He fooled us. <laughs> he fooled us. He did the Gangster Chronicles and Riptide and all kinds of shit. Yeah. And when we were young, like, hey, it's Joe fucking Penny again. <laughs> and and it's like, little do we know, he's like... Cheerio chops. <laughs> I, yeah, cheerio chops. Let's start it out. Time for cucumber head. sandwiches. <laughs> Got any marmalade with that? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And, of course, you know, we talked to Burt Rouncer recently, and I hadn't seen it yet, but Dan August is like, that's not as good as the other two, but it's interesting because it falls somewhere between the Canon model and more of like a Kojak, but somehow there's like bits of the Mod Squad dripping into it, too, because a lot of the ones I've seen have like social issues involved, uh, which is, you know, a little bit heavy-handed, but not as bad as the Mod Squad, God help you. <laughs> so, who's this go-to boy in that? Was that Norman Fell? Right. Yes, Norman Fell. And the funny thing is, if you watch the movie, they have the original TV movie it came from. Mm. It's nothing like it. That was Christopher George and Keenan Wynn, of all people. Yeah. That one was actually pretty interesting. I was like, wow, this is really dark. And a lot of, like, it was almost like a serial killer thing because of blood over the walls. I'm like, oh my God, it's like Manson, which is right around the time it came out. And it has a very dark, uh, almost like a hammer noir or a darker Hitchcock kind of thing. Or, even maybe William Castle without the gimmicks, you know, some of the later stuff he did with all the slasher films, uh, like Homicidal and all that. But really dark, creepy shit. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And from that, in the beginning, I was like, well, Bert's kind of a letdown. And I really like Norman Fell, but I kind of miss Keenan Wynn being there. But after you watch a couple episodes, I was like, no, Norman Fell's really good. And, uh, you know, Bert, he is. He Bert is. does what he can. You know, he's, he's not really invested in the role as much as he should be, but... He definitely runs around and does what he has to do. <laughs> it's an interesting show because it's got that same weird Quinn Martin feel. But in terms of between those other films, I would definitely go for uh, The Invaders of Canon over that any day. Well, you know, something you, you mentioned earlier, I don't know if you never watched it or 
don't care to or just chuckled, Kojak. Oh, I love Kojak. Now, Kojak is interesting because Kojak was actually a TV movie. Marjorie Gortner was 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 the feature. Kojak? Wow. No, no, he was no. It was it was Telly Sabalos. But he was uh, uh, Gortner was featured as like the prime suspect in the murder. I think it was called the something something murders. I forgot what it was called. Yeah. And it oh, was that outdoors one. That was nice. Wasn't um, not Susan Stratton. No, Nancy Sinatra's sister. Uh, the other Sinatra. She was gorgeous, and that I remember that movie. Yeah, yeah, it was like a TV movie, '74 or something like that. Really yeah. early, and it was like a big thing. It was almost like The Night Stalker, the first two movies. Yep, like a lot of, that's it. Yeah, a lot of people turned into that, and and you know what? I I I watched Kojak for a while, and it's not the big joke show people thought it was. Oh, not at all. And it, it wasn't like Barney Miller, which was a joke show. <laughs> You know, Barney Miller was a joke show. You know, it's like okay, you know, we had, we had, we had our Asian Korean guy, we had a Jewish guy, we had an older guy, blah, blah, blah. Polish Bar- guy, Polish guy, Black Holmes, guy. Right? Yep. Yeah, Ron Glass. Who yep. We name checked many times because Ron Glass is our favorite show. Uh, Firefly. Pop up a lot. Yep. That's um, correct. But Kojak is one of those shows that kind of got buried because I believe. In my my personal opinion, that people don't really give Tully Savalas a lot of credit as an actor, and uh, he's done some tremendous work from Twilight Zone episodes. Oh, he's in a lot of movies I like, from war films and Italian horrors and Italian horror. And the guy sometimes brought his game. He sometimes brought his game, and you're like, yeah, you're like, holy shit, he's tremendous. He's sometimes scary good. Oh yeah, the problem with with Kojak with Savalas is that first off in the beginning it was really good hard hitting stuff and really gritty it's it's actually much more gritty than any American series I can think of doing cop stuff even more so than Starsky and Hutch right. it's more like the professionals from uh, the UK except later on once you get to the second season or third season wherever it is he starts making okay yeah George Savalas was always there which is his brother or whatever and he had a singing career and every once in a while one or the other one would try to sing a song or this a little cheesy okay fine but you know I don't mind I got a kick out of George Savalas he's good the problem was as he got more power as the show got bigger first off he stopped smoking because he decided it wasn't even for his own health I don't think I think he decided to be a bad role model as, as you know smoking cigars all the time or whatever so he started sucking lollipops so that right there became a big joke like oh look here's a lollipop and secondly he started obviously he was greek and very proud of it so he started making every episode about helping somebody in the greek community and by the time he got towards i don't know let's say around five seasons by the time he got to season four there was nothing else nobody else was covered in this show it was like i don't know let's say you had a series where you had a black cop and he's like a partner or whatever and all of a sudden the last season is nothing but, you know, he's up on our black balls. I'm like, well, that's nice, but nobody else? That's it? And that's what happened. So it became this... I remember my father was like, yeah, Kojak was great until he went all Greek. And it's true. You can see towards the end, it's like, wow, this is getting silly. Well, so well, I think that was... No, you're right, you're right. And Telly, Telly having done all his Italian films that he did on off-seasons with Kojak... You know, because he was still connected to, you know, Bavar and all these guys yeah, and the whole thing. Express and all that, yeah. And, and Telly did this picture. Um, actually, if you check IMDb, you it's one of the, I 
the only movie he directed, possibly? A psychological terror film that was so weird, they had to re-edit it constantly. It actually was taken from him, and the distributors tried to make it something seedy, and then he tried to take it back. It's like almost two hours in his cut. He's a therapist or a psychologist, and he's dealing with a bunch of stuff, and the woman might be possessed or not. It's like one of those kind of movies. Mm-hmm. So it actually fills into, falls into the Italian-esque realm of the kind of terror films he's been making, psychological horror. So, yeah, I could see a guy like him making a movie like that. And it's just like he really believed in that movie so much that it got caught in a conundrum of like, well, we're not going to release this movie unless you let us release it releasable. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, it's going to be 62 minutes if we could do anything with it. You know, and I don't think Kelly was a bad filmmaker, and it's a very strange movie. I saw at least two versions of it. I forgot the name of the movie. But uh, And don't forget, this is a much worse time for stuff like that, because look what happened to films like even Bava with uh, Lisa and the Devil. How yes. they made it to that you know bloody exorcism or whatever. Right. Companies would get this stuff and like, ah, I can't sell this. I need something more grindhousey, and they would just totally chop it up and make it into some other strange hybrid. You know, they get somebody like uh, Al Adamson, take two different films, put them together, and here you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> made the fucking sense. But... About people might be curious what I'm talking about. Hold on, let me check. It was a very yeah. Kojak was on for a long time, You're right? Seventy three, seventy eight. He was born in Long Island. Well, if anybody cares. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, Beyond Reason, which is late, 1985. Mm-hmm. Diana Muldaur. Yeah, everybody remembers her from Star Trek. Anything else? Um, the Star Trek Priscilla... knockoffs. Uh, when, when Star Trek was gone and Gene Roddenberry was making all those things like Earth 2 or whatever the hell. They were yeah, trying yeah, to fill yeah. in. And it kept failing. She was on one of those. I think one of the better ones. Yeah, this is it's called Beyond. One of the release versions, the 30-minute, uh, 30-minute, <laughs> the 90-minute <the> version <laughs> is called Beyond Reason. A seemingly successful psychiatrist begins to lose his grip on reality in a box on the fair with a patient. That's not any version I've ever seen. That's a lot of siblings, seemingly successful psychiatrist. There you are. I'm reading to you. But um, this is a movie that, that they, they cut a lot. They try, And there's some weird, like, Baba-type versions of this thing. It's, like, very strange. I remember seeing this and thinking... Oh, this is very weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm not saying it's great. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so what else? What else have you been seeing from the Quinn Martin production line? That's all recently because uh, I know that you have Barnaby Jones. I don't know if he did Quincy, but those are not available where I've been seeing a lot of this stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, I have not indulged in those and probably can't. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing especially Quincy. When, you know, I used to like that when I was younger. But I'm not sure if it's even his. But, you know, like I said, I've been watching this batch of them, so I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of a Quinn Martin thing right there. <laughs> as, lo- as long as you don't make me watch the FBI from Symbolist Jr. <laughs> no. I, 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 I can't do that. I mean, with those old shows, like that, some of them are hard to take. You know, we get to those. Because I'm, I'm thinking that's one of those black and white jobs. The ones well, that I tend to like, that was... Like- 20 years, I think, I think. Oh, really? The ones I tend to like a lot was, like, Mike Hammer, the one with uh, Darren McGavin in it. Oh, that's another thing I've been watching recently. Uh, oh, and I was going to say Honey West was the other one with, uh, what's her name? She was the better-looking sister, uh, Connie Francis, I think it was. Mm. 
But I rewatched Kolchak recently too. Actually, oh yeah, we could do that. Yeah, I watched several series recently. Uh, the oh, you know, I told you about the other ones last time we talked with uh, all the stuff like Alias and uh, Dark Angel and whatever. Yeah. But yeah, that's basically what we've been digging into of late. Yeah, I, I'm more prone to probably do something on Kojak than those other two because I, I really have to catch up on those and I don't see a window for that right now. Yeah, we could definitely do that at some point. I've seen some people who, I mean, I like the first two movies and there are a smattering of episodes that are a lot of fun, but there's some that are so cheesy. Well, you know what it is? It's comfort food. I watch the thing, I hear the music, it's comfort and, food, yes. and I'm totally relaxed. And it's like, okay, yeah, this is what I grew up on this. I, I remember my father used to let me stay up late just to watch it with him and all kind of stuff. Great stuff. But even though I'd always, I and mean, we talk about in the past, I was like, oh, no, they're just as good as the movies. It, they really aren't. The movies stand apart. It's almost like comparing Dark Shadows soap opera to the first Dark Shadows movie, which I used to be down on. But I was like, you know what? It's got its own appeal, and it's much, much darker. It's like... Yeah. Uh, count Yorga on steroids and if you try to say okay this is what Dark Shadows is like and somebody get excited and go over to see Dark Shadows like this is nothing like that so it's the same kind of thing there it was like Kolchak was watered down a lot not as much as you think I mean for TV it was pretty so pretty strong but the ones that work are not the ones you would think like the Macho Manito episode was really good the zombie episode was really good Horror of the Heights was pretty good but then there's other ones that was like okay this should be great it's like yeah, or ones that I remembered being better than they are, like the Eric Estrada episode. I'm like, yeah, and there's too many misses when I watched it recently. I was like, okay, well, it's not that great, but it's still a fun show. You don't know which ones they're going to be, though. You, you think from the descriptions, oh, yeah, this will be a great one. It's like, no, nah, it's not. Or you look at another one, I was like, eh, that sounds kind of lame. I was like, no, oh, that was actually really good. Well, it, it, well it's like, you know, it's like we started out with two films, and then we went to a series. Right. Well, they were TV movies, but Richard Matheson and, and Dan Curtis were doing well, a lot of those back they, then. They were way above average. Way well, we talked average. about the Dan Curtis uh, in the 70s yeah, back yeah, when. Yeah, they, yeah. All those things that they did were really, really good, uh, especially with all, Matheson. Yeah, all good. Yeah, it's sort of like, uh, what are we thinking of as a comparison? You know, remember James Coburn, Our Man Flint movies? Mm-hmm. We've never done a James Coburn show. No, we, we haven't. haven't. No, we haven't. <laughs> Write that down. Um, and so James Coburn does Our Man Flint and In Like Flint, and you know In Like Flint was not as good as Our Man Flint, but no. still mucho cool. And so there's a quietness. You know James moves on, he works for Bruce Lee, no shit, he does, <laughs> and he becomes Bruce Lee's student, I think. And they yes. worked on the the idea and script for Kung the Fu. Silent Flute, yeah, whatever it's called, and. Uh, he actually was one of the people with Steve McQueen that carried Bruce Lee's coffin. This is true. Was it uh, Kung the, Fu that they worked on together, or was it, uh, like you said, Silent Flute, which became Circle of Iron later? Circle of Iron. Yeah, that's Circle. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His but, Zen parable. So, years later, there's like this interest in Derek Flint. Who knew? And James Coburn still, you know, 1972, 73, so he's, you know, he's still, he's still like good shape. They pick Ray fucking Danton. You remember that? Yes. Ray Danton to be Derek Flint in an ABC TV movie based on on the character. Like, it's going to become a thing. Like, you pick Ray Danton. (laughs) (laughs) Why didn't they ask James Coburn if he wanted to do a TV show? Or maybe he said, no, just make it a third. I I heard that it was supposed to be a third Flint movie. And, you know, I don't know, something happened. But so, like, Ray Danton 
shows up on ABC. I, ha- I had it for years in 16 millimeter. Don't tell anybody. Shh. And <laughs> it was terrible <laughs> because you have a guy like Ray Denton. No, it was all right. Yeah, he did some fun movies. Playing James, you know, she's trying to be James Coburn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yo, James, James Coburn's like Bronson. He's one of these guys. He was a he. He wasn't a type. He was who he was. Yep. And he he his roles fit around him like a glove, and or he made the part kind of work toward his advantage or vice versa. And so it was funny to see Ray Dent walking around like James Coburn. He's, he was a tall guy too, but I was like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> Never got picked up by ABC. I was like, oh. And that, that's the kind of thing I akin to it. You know, it's like you had these two hugely, first hugely successful Kolchak movie with McGavin. And a year or two later, there's not as hugely success, successful Kolchak show with McGavin. And then like a year later or two. And then we had this TV series, which was like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. You know, it's like. Well, I actually just saw something, but totally coincidentally, one of my groups, somebody just posted something about it, which is interesting, uh, talking about synchronicity. And they were saying that, oh, yeah, the problem was that he didn't get along well with Dan Curtis, because Dan Curtis, if you know anything about him, was a real bastard, really loudmouth, you know, screaming, the worst kind of producer. But he always brought quality to his stuff, obviously. That's where we talked about him. So he says, you know, I don't want to work with this fucking guy again. He's a jerk. So I don't like the way he treats people. It wasn't even necessarily him. It's just the way he treats people in general. He treats the crew like shit. He's always yelling at them or whatever. So they did the series, but did it without Dan Curtis. And that's why they think that, you know, it didn't really work out so well, which is true. Because if he's not involved and he was involved in the other ones, that's going to make a big difference. It's kind of like... I guess doing a Quinn Martin series without Quinn Martin, you know, is not going to work. <laughs> and yeah, it's funny that you brought that up because wasn't Dan Curtis Productions something akin to the Quinn Martin thing? Like, Dan Curtis Production. You know, yes, like, very much so. That, and the Robert Colbert music was that so, it, it was always like, God, I used to have the soundtrack album too for Dark Shadows, the series. Yeah, I have that. I, yeah, yeah, you remember that? And it was like, they had this guy's name emblazoned on it. Like, he wasn't like Tchaikovsky or something. Like, Robert Colbert. Who the fuck is that? Yeah, but, <laughs> That's the guy but, who worked on Dark Shadows. <laughs> the guy who worked on Dark It was a big thing. It was a big thing back in those days. Oy. That's it. Then uh, made up for a little bit of time off. And we will be back pretty soon. In a couple of weeks, probably, we'll be recording Tony uh, Curtis. Tony Curtis show. I was thinking Dan Curtis. I'm like, no, that's not right. <laughs> Tony Curtis. Two different guys, nothing to do with each other. Bernie Two Schwartz. Guys. All right. <laughs> all right. Thanks for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed our little drawing room chat on all and sundry. And next time, we'll be talking Tony Curtis. If you'd like to contact us here, comments, suggestions, or you're a filmmaker, musician, you'd like to join us on air, drop us a line on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1, or our website, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com. Uh, we're also we're on Twitter at weirdscenes1. We're also found on Podbean. ThirdEyeCinema.Podbean.com We're on iTunes. Uh, just look us up under Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine Podcast. If you're in particular, the ID is 5534-02044. We're also on Spotify and Amazon Podcast, believe it or not. So uh, once again, just look us up under Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine Podcast. Or you can look up the specific links on our pages. And uh, we will see you next time. Weird Scenes on the Goldmine brought to you by the new and improved Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Network, now on Podbean. Good night, everybody. Good night.
I don't eat any spicy bananas. <laughs> Especially not if you get them with Darren a shot, because you never know. You'll be uh, hanging in the, in the yeah. loo for a while. Good <laughs> <laughs> At 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, tune into Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurd and look at the headlines politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you gotta have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery and try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio.
Join us on Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, the meaning of life. I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard-earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without a scarlet women? Who is by and far the largest audience of new age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover? Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side and the light, from the organized to the out of the way. This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various stops on the spectrum of spirituality and found them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some hard-earned lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner and fellow seekers of truth in this journey towards life. Moving towards life. Lessons in life and spirituality from an unconventional seeker. Bringing more to you only here on the Big Papa Online Network. On Blog Talk Radio. Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Join us for Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell with Doc Savage, Lois Paul, myself. Discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult films, music, television, and more. We'll be covering classic films, shows, musicians, and literature of the past, with an eye towards what new visions may still arise from the soullessly derivative mire of our modern age. Tune in. Turn on and take a step outside the mainstream as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television right here on Weird Seats Inside the Gold Mine. Only here on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. Hello. Hello. It says LP on your thing, which is appropriate considering you're getting all this vinyl lately. Really? I wonder why. That's your initials, probably. Oh, yeah, yeah. How do I sound? You sound good. That's your new mic you're talking about? Yeah, the Blue Yeti. Blue Yeti. <laughs> That's the brand. And the funny thing was, um, Amazon, of all places, had it in blue, cobalt blue. You know, it's, it's metal. Yeah. And uh, it was really nice. And um, I was like, uh, wow. Because they come in like a steel gray silver which right. is this one and uh i couldn't afford that one <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> for, for some reason that one was more money uh cost more and so uh i was like uh well, well vinyl you've been shoot. buying i figured you got money to blow here no i i i i get good deals and i get some people sending me stuff you know, uh, if there's something I really want, you know, and because you know, I'm all these, all these prog pages, you know, people are like, hey, I just got this loose. You know, they message me, Lewis, have you heard this? I'm like, yeah, it sounds really good, but uh, I can't afford it. You know, <laughs> a, a, a lot of these things, you know, Norway, Italy, 
uh, Eastern European countries like Poland. There's some good stuff out there, but it's just, you know, because of the pandemic and the VAT tax mm -hmm. and the shipping. And it's oh, like, uh, I'll tell you, I used to get a lot of stuff. It was great because you get all these European, whatever the hell. The only thing that gave me trouble is I got a couple of Russian bootlegs, which, you know, if you're desperate, it's one thing, but they don't really do a great job with the quality of the sound anyway. Right. You got all kinds of stuff that you can never get over here, or at least it was like a crazy price over here because, you know, five people bought it. But over there, it's ubiquitous. So you get like, you know, basically you're paying what you'd pay for a normal disc over here just to get it shipped. And they would always do something where they either ship through England, which was always a nice normal shipping rate, or mm -hmm. if it was from like Amazon or from England itself. For some reason, they had a problem shipping it to us, so they would ship it through partners in Germany or whatever the hell else. And again, you get like a, either free shipping or a normal shipping rate or whatever. So I got a whole bunch of shit that way. Nowadays, I'm so glad that I had done all that with you know DVDs, CDs, whatever, because now you can't do it. Because everything no. on it says, okay, get a nice cheap price, but then you look at the shipping and it's like $30. Like, whoa! It's because of Brexit and whatever the hell else is going on there. So, yeah. Yeah. There was this band, uh, Life Signs. They're pretty good. I actually saw them on a clue, uh, crew, one of the cruises I went on. And uh, they, you know, their CD price, they had vinyl sold out. You know, I was showing these guys here. They make like two, two, three hundred copies. So, you know, the hardcore people, they, they jump at that. Yeah. So, yeah, the CD wasn't bad. It was like 25. I'm like, oh, it's more than all I pay, but no, all right. And then I look at the shipping, and it was like seventeen dollars. Yeah. It's like, no, wait. It, it, they recently put up. It's in pounds, so I'm talking about the equivalent. Yeah. They recently put up like five of their discs in a package for sixty pounds. I'm saying, all right, one and one's two CDs and a DVD. It was a live thing, so I said, this sounds like a good deal. You get four studio recordings and one double with a DVD, and for sixty pounds, that's not bad. But then I looked at the shipping. I'm like. Yeah. yeah. And it's weird because it's happening with Japan, too. I see a lot of stuff over that way. Mm. And they've, I don't know even know why they did, but they've gone crazy, too. It's like, all right. So I used to get stuff from all around the globe. Now it's like if I get anything, it's U.S.-based, that's it. Because you can't, you can't deal with it. You're like, what the hell? How am I paying twice as much for the shipping as I am for the item? And that's literally happening. I've seen, like, okay, $17 shipping where it's like, wait, the item's like $7? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> my friend, my friend Erica, uh, she lives across the street. I guess she's got money. She always, she, not only does she go on the cruises, she she follows bands. Mm -hmm. She's hardcore. Dream Theater's big with her Kansas. You know, she she'll go all over Europe. She'll go all over the states. Like, I'm not saying come to the states for one show. Mm -hmm. if, you know, back in pre-pandemic, she would come, fly into wherever, and then go to the next city. Right. And she would go to four or five, maybe more cities and see as many shows as she could. And she's always posting and she's always doing the VIP thing. Anyway, she lives across the street in Japan, Tokyo, yes, mm -hmm. uh, across from one of the big, it's still there, uh, HMV or something, still in business. Right. Yeah, she holds up all these fucking albums like, oh, he's got the new blah, 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 and I got the new blah, blah, blah. And sometimes I'm tempted, can you buy me one? But I'm like, I don't want to put her through the trouble of, like, finding a package and then going to a post office. But I'm like, damn, you're right across the street from a real, actual record store. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I miss that. I do, too. Oh, yeah, you feel like shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, so how did that go? Well, did you get both or just the first? No, I got both. And that's what I'm saying is 
I lucked out because we got the Pfizer, uh, both of us actually. Oh, did. you got the Pfizer, right? Yeah. Right, so right. the difference, I always heard about the Moderna of having these bad side effects on the second shot. You got them on the first shot. Well, my my first shot, my coming back in the car, uh, my left hand was numb. I remember that, right. and I was feeling pretty crappy. Next day, I got up, took a couple hours to get my my wings, and I was fine. Right. So Friday, except for the soreness, which was more prominent this time, I was feeling pretty good. And I remember how you said you felt pretty good. Yeah. And so, you know, I got home and I was feeling pretty good. I was like, oh, you know, all right. And about seven o'clock, I suddenly got very cold, mm-hmm. which which is a thing apparently, too. Yeah. And uh, I got very tired. That's kind of what happened. My first shot, my wife's like, you know, everybody gets a shitty reaction on the first shot from what I'm hearing. And it was almost nothing. The only thing I noticed right away was my arm was more stiff and numb than usual. I I got a fucked up rotator cuff on that arm anyway. So it's like, well, it could be partly that. Maybe I strained it too much or whatever. But, you know, I think it's a shot. But it wasn't a big deal. And she's like, really? No stiffness? No, nothing. No, just that. And until, like you said, it was nighttime. And all of a sudden, I started getting a little bit, like, light sniffles and feeling cold. And I got kind of sleepy. Mm. I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. Next day was, like, a little bit of the same and just feeling a little bit under the weather like that. And then it was nothing. But then the second shot, I figured, okay, well, that's where it's supposed to come with everybody. Uh, and I actually felt, not only did I get any, no symptoms, but I got the reverse where I felt really enervated. I was like, hee! <laughs> you know, I felt a lot yeah. better. And I was like, you, you had a jolt of caffeine or something. And that lasted, like, three or four days. So I can't figure that out at all. But, you know, we lucked out to get the Pfizer because now I understand that this area is getting really flooded with Moderna and J&J. The government's got a big mm. surplus of that stuff coming into us. And the Pfizer, I guess, is on its way out or we had used it all up. So, you know, thankfully she started hers and already got the first shot in. So uh, same day I got my last shot. And, uh, you know, th- there's less than the Moderna. Moderna I'm hearing a lot of crazy shit about. So how was your second shot, though? That that uh, the second shot was, uh, you know, later in the day I was tired, cold, and uh, I didn't even do my laundry yesterday. I I woke up and uh, I just you know what I don't. This uh, first time in two years it was an outdoor record vinyl event, and I remember there was a couple of guys here were like really cheap vinyl in decent shape, and I was gonna go and I said no, I don't feel like it. I promised to take her out to dinner for a couple of weeks now and she brought it up I'm like oh. <laughs> so she was gone all day and she came back and said alright I'll call and make a reservation and uh, I was alright enough to do that but when I came back I just crashed and like today I'm feeling like sluggish mm. but, so what's the deal with the vinyl I'm hearing that I don't know if it's true or not people don't really go for the old vinyls from the 60s and 70s like I still got some of those uh, in the mm-hmm. 80s they were looking for like the new ones where they're, they're you know, 30 and 40 dollars a pop and I don't know maybe they're heavier vinyl I don't know what the deal is oh well it depends uh, you know uh, a lot of stuff is getting remastered right that's that's one thing and usually uh, well that's why I get a lot of CDs so I'm like oh god so I finally put this thing out or we, we were never able to see this back in, in the 80s I remember seeing like ads for it you hear on the radio but it was hard to get you know weird imports and now they're putting it out remastered with demos and all kinds of crap on there. So that was a lot of the, mm-hmm. the CD buying for me. But, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, a lot of stuff is getting remastered. Uh, 
for the majority, it's getting done on uh, 180 gram or it's the occasional 200 gram. I have a few of those. They're heavy. And I suppose they're probably even more fragile. Wow. You know, being heavier, it's going to you drop that like, shit in the heart. Like an old 78. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like that. But not all uh, remastered jobs. Like the, uh, what was that, Diamond Dogs? Yeah. I got two of those, uh, you know, from the Swedish company, uh, remastered from the original. And they're, they're, they're on really lightweight vinyl. Also, they're, they're, because you got all CDs from them, right? Or digital? Yeah, they submitted digitals. Yeah. Okay. So the the vinyl from these guys, even the the the, the cardboard, you know, the physical, you know, sleeve that the album comes in, is really thin. It's like so whatever is going on there in the past two years, uh, whatever the plants they're using is uh, cheaping out. <laughs> yeah, I you know, I, or maybe they've always. Y'all, how much stuff do I have from Sweden? Not too much. I got a couple of Swedish bands, but their their music is coming out of other countries. You know, like they actually went to other countries to record, and they got to deal with a you know a label in Italy, a label in England. So you know, you got more quality. Uh, well, it, it, here's the thing though: if you have, if and I, I know a few people like this, if. You're an esoteric vinyl collector and always have been. You took mint carrier stuff. It's going to sound good mm-hmm. today, even on today's new top of the line hardcore turntables. Mm-hmm. If you didn't take so much care, it's why it kind of did that show, which a lot of people like, but I had a really low. When I, on YouTube, when you go from standard definition and automatically upgrades to high def, I lost, I lost a lot of audio which made me finally decide to upgrade everything mm. so I can overcome that. Um, people like that show because I was talking a lot about the care of vinyl records. Yeah. And, you know, there are all these things you could buy and all these things you could do. And even with the album jackets, you know, if, if you go to a flea market or you inherit or you're walking down the block and, oh, shit, somebody threw out like 20 Kiss promo albums. <laughs> you may not like it, but you might make money off yeah, sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, in the old days, I know we used to take if, if some some people are disgusting, and you see all this like grime and shit all over the record or whatever, and it was unplayable. You wouldn't yeah. want to put it on your player. Uh, we used to just go take something like you know dish detergent and, uh, and soap and just go and like put it under the sink and wipe that shit off. No, but, uh, not because that fills up the grooves and it creates a grime that you can't really get yeah, off. I heard you saying something about that. So yeah, yeah, and uh, even some of the uh, marginally expensive or more expensive things that are out there that are being sold for this purpose uh, leave a kind of a residue. So, I mean, I, I suggested some things that from my own usage and research are okay. Uh, for the album jackets uh, themselves, and uh, even if they're gatefold sleeves, you open it up and do the same thing. A Clorox wipe, squeeze that shit out. You know, don't like put one circuit wet. Wipe that down with a nice. It's got to be not an abrasive paper towel. It's got to be like a bounty. You know, I'm not shilling for bounty, <laughs> but I say their stuff is pretty, you know, soft. Wipe off that residue, let it dry, and you'll be surprised when you look at that Clorox or Lysol wipe. You'll see how brown it is. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, I, I've been getting a lot of used stuff too. So sure. uh, you could smell the mold. Yep. And you don't want to bring that, especially in pandemic. I even bought an expensive filter for the house. 
an air filter, and you just want to introduce more mold into your, you know. Yeah, sure. Into your, you know, I already got issues with, uh, with, uh, you know, sneezing, you know, with allergy <laughs> today. Oh my God. So I, I turns out, I don't know if you noticed, but I, I'm breaking out in weird places on my face, and even my wife said, "What's going on?" And I said, "I don't know." I think I'm allergic to one of these masks. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. One of the white ones, one of the better K95s. Yeah. And uh, I didn't use that for a day. My face looked if fine. If you want, and last I night. can recommend you yeah. a place. I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but because we got some recently, and they're black, first of all. They're K95s. Mm-hmm. But they're better than, she's also got K95s they gave her out at work that look the same, the regular mm-hmm. white ones. But she hates the way they feel on her face. They're much cheaper quality. These are nice. Like the inner cloth is very soft. They're very breathable, and yet, you know, it's it's the K95. It's a good job. So if you want, you bought them online. So I can, uh, I yeah, can point you to that. Send me yeah. the link. Yeah. So I I didn't know. I've been using Kerry lotion and stuff, which works pretty well for me. So yesterday I was fine as far as that goes. <laughs> Forget about the shot. And I know when I came back, I'm like, damn, because, you know, you wear the mask to enter the place. If we wear the mask, we took an Uber to the restaurant and back. I was like, damn, I think I'm allergic to this freaking mask. Oh, <laughs> All right, so you want to test this, and then we'll talk about yeah. stuff? Yeah, I actually said one more thing. I want, I want to talk about a little debate here, I guess, over the uh, vinyl versus CDs quality. Uh, but, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about No, we could do that part of the show, yeah, too. So, yeah, we'll be back in a minute. Yeah, let's do that. All right. 